Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildblow's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and man, I've just scrambled this week. Aw Matt, keep it sunny side up. Are we really doing this? Egg puns? 120 episodes in and it's... we're reduced to egg puns? Sheesh, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around this guy. We didn't really write an end to that joke. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of, I could have sworn I wrote another thing here, Yolky Godbirds and alien-based death powers as we analyze <laughs> interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we spend our first week all in Arc 19 Infrared with chapters 19.2, 19.a, and 19.3. Victoria's plan successfully goes off and temporarily disables almost all of the Titans. And also all of the capes, resulting in some power changes. And then we spend some time with the incredible, inedible Egg, who is kind of a dick. Finally, back with Victoria, we bear witness to one of the most painful flashbacks in the entirety of the Parahumans universe, and leave Victoria attempting to deal with it while pledging to engage in a battle against the Titan Fortuna. Matt, what do you think about these three chapters? Oh, there's going to be a lot to talk about today. I mean, this Egg interlude is is just fantastic. It's one of those ones that you just want to sink your teeth into. Okay, I'll stop. Um, and then, of course, we get a really highly, profoundly disturbing um, interlude, uh, not interlude, but um, flashback from Victoria, which I don't think we're going to talk about for very long. But, um, man, just in, in terms of in terms of the impact that it had on me, uh, it, it was it was harsh. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I want to spend some time on it, but I think I want to spend some time like around it um you know what i mean like i think there's i think there's evidence of great writing in there i think it's wonderful from a writing perspective but it's also something that's incredibly difficult to talk about it was incredibly hard to read the three or four times i read this chapter um and it's just one of those things that i I think it's important and i think there's things to say but yeah i don't want to dwell i don't want to like dive into the the text in the way that we normally do in that specific section. Yeah, it's difficult to divorce like the artfulness and craft of how it was written from the subject matter in a way that doesn't feel really tacky. So I don't think we're going to try to. I agree. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's it. There's a lot of stuff to talk about today. So much. It's going to be a long, long yep. episode. Before we start, um, just reminder announcements. Uh, the Doof the Right Thing writing contest is ongoing you just have to write it a very short story it generally takes about 30 minutes to write these and submit it to us the, the um instructions will be linked pretty much wherever you're going to find this podcast so shouldn't be too much trouble and then we've got the all packed up uh finale of the deep impact uh packed read-through podcast Let's see if i can say packed any more times packed and that's going to be March 6th, so look forward to that. That's going to be uh, just a crazy, crazy time. It's not too late to read the story. I know this because I'm attempting to finish the story by the t- by March 6th. I finished Arc 5 this weekend, 
and I've I'm just eleven to go. It's doable. We're gonna do this. Yeah, it's doable. All right, let's get into nineteen point two. Yes, let's waste no time. We got a lot to talk about. So Scott, remember the title of this arc is infrared. Okay, so I do I do remember that? All right, so the root the root for the word red is the same as the root for the word abraid and razor, um, and the the usage there is is like to scratch, to scrape, to gnaw. That that's that's actually the the meaning of the word that is the root for red, and the word infra of course means below. So I feel like this arc, um, the events of the story in this arc are, are basically scraping Victoria's raw psychological wounds and, and digging into her and exposing the, the vulnerability underneath. Um, and to substantiate this theory, we start out this chapter with the crystal facets below her, torturing her with an image of herself in multiple situations that make her look bad and stir up bad memories. And, and then it just gets worse from here. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good summary. I, I like that a lot. Um, also like, just go, like using some meanings, but not quite as complicated as yours. I mean, the biggest red thing we have in this story right now is this crystalline world of the shard world. Right. And they are literally like drilling into it. That's what's the plan is they're drilling into it. They're drilling underneath it. At the end of this chapter, Victoria's going to take a giant laser to punch through it. Um, and that, so I think that kind of lines up with, with the idea of infra meaning under, and also like, I think just the general idea that memories seem to be playing in a very important part in mm-hmm. this, this, these chapters specifically, but the whole arc so far has been really, really focusing on looking back in the past and memories and, and these things that all of our characters have had to go through and how these are being exposed in certain ways. Um, and that's fitting with that title as well. That's I think, true. So. I mean, we also, we had an arc called heavens and when you think about it, like un- under, under red, or the red underneath is is basically hell. There's a lot of underworld imagery and and references in this part of the book and this arc. So maybe it just it's just infrared just is kind of code for hell. So I, I think there's a lot you know a lot of possibilities. Yeah, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly. I'm just wrong. But it seems to me that generally the locations of the shard world in the cracks in reality always have you going down mm-hmm. yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily need to be that right because the, technically the cracks could be anywhere mm-hmm. but generally every time i think we've seen victoria go into one of the cracks in reality she has gone down it's always been downwards so i think i think there's something to that for sure yeah I, I agree completely um going back to my interpretation of the um abrading and, and scraping interpretation um when when she's watching her her her, her shard movies uh, the, the, basically, we, we don't quite know what she's looking at yet, but it says that gold jerked right and a slash of crimson was left behind. So that's literally like s- scraping away something to reveal the red underneath. And by the way, that image is, of course, the wretch using Carol as a crayon uh, in case people forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad the text goes uh, on to outline that specifically because there's been so many like Victoria smashes something moments that I wasn't sure exact. I, I got the feeling this was a Victoria smash moment, but I didn't know which one it was. And I'm glad the text kind of takes the time to outline that in a, in a couple paragraphs here. Um, that being a thing that Victoria has to witness and, and also has to know that other people are witnessing is pretty awful. So, yeah, um, there, there's, there's some fun, there's some fun color stuff in this, uh, in this, in these three chapters. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we get to it, but the, we have the gold once again, uh, which which is her mom's you know uh, hat, I guess. I'm not sure exactly 
and and then of course we have red so but, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about that as we go so victoria uh struggles to keep herself from just shooting the crystal that's that's playing these movies which actually shows us how close to the edge she really is she knows that shooting the crystal would put her in danger by making her a target there's no good reason for her to do it other than wiping out those images um but she still feels tempted and that's how much it bothers her um like she's like physically struggling to keep her finger from pulling the trigger yeah it's this really really powerful moment that she's just wanting to make everything go away right she wants to make those memories go away or as she says she wants to respond to the argument that these memories are are bringing up by being played like by destroying it like Mm -hmm. that's the way she wants to respond to it and 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 like i said earlier the idea of memory and remembering are going to be a huge part of this arc it seems like that is that is absolutely true um and something we didn't get into last week that i kind of wanted to circle around before we move forward is i think arc one of this arc chapter one of this arc set that up as well um because you have this moment remember there's this moment where uh victoria and and sarah and crystal are all talking and one of the things they're talking about is this general life philosophy of goals um and sarah's talking about how she remembers having this philosophical discussion with her sister and um, what Victoria says is thinking a lot about memories and remembering, I asked, words less aimed at her and more at the darkness that pressed in all around us. So that's just like Victoria is just throwing that into the atmosphere. She's she's talking to Sarah kind of, but she's talking to herself. She's talking to the world. She's talking to us, the reader. This is what we're thinking about. We're thinking about memories. We're thinking about remembering. Um, and indeed, that is what is happening all throughout these chapters. Memories and, import- and the importance of remembering is coming to the forefront in uh, in some horrifying ways. Yeah, um, we saw it with the Titan interlude, right? Like, I mean, that's it's always been part of the book, right? I think the Ashleys were the biggest example of that. Like, they were remembering things that weren't theirs, and there was the interesting dynamic with that. But it's coming to the forefront in a way, uh, in a big, big way. Yeah, um, I, I think that's that's awesome. I, I like your your idea that she's almost you know talking to the book. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that that, you know, we talked about how the the chapter one of this arc was not a typical setup chapter, but I do think that Wildbow still managed to put some pieces in place that will be, um, you know, the fundamental, uh, you know, structural members of this of this arc. Uh, yeah. And I think know. sometimes the, just the way our schedule works and the way it falls out, we can only get to talk about one chapter in that arc and it's difficult to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of glad we got to hear this week circle back around to that main idea because it seems like it is going to go through each and every one of these chapters. Yeah, I think um, so. I, I do love there's this part here um, where the scene shifts away from her beating the shit out of her mother to her throwing a temper tantrum as she describes it in the hospital. Um, and there's this wonderful beat here where she's kind of like doing this this past and future argument like she's she's describing herself i'm an educated smart well-dressed woman who can defend herself who knows her shit who protects the weak and hurts evil people and then outlining the memory that's being played watch my naked soaking wet misshapen self tear apart a bathtub scream no sound when viewing a crystal picture of course and shove a nurse across the room watch her watch me try to smash my head against the walls on the side of the tub and this this repeats twice more right like it's this back and forth between here here's who i am now look at at that person i was before and this kind of this dichotomy between the past and the present between these times um of memories that are are shocking and horrifying and sometimes ugly to who i am right now and and this with this question of 
who do you see now when you see those memories and you see me do you see the me stands here now do you see the hair the, the heroine dressed in black and gold who gives her all collecting injuries around the edges or do you see the person uh, at their lowest points wailing unable to even wash myself who do you see who do i see uh she kind of asks herself and and i love that dichotomy and how that is presented that's just fantastic writing to me yeah it is great because i mean p- part of it is that she wants to keep the people down below from seeing these images because it's, yeah. it's 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 shameful it's hurtful for them to see that but i think much of it is actually just her having to see the images right like like yeah. the, the temptation to destroy the crystal i think comes from not wanting to have to face this she's made she's put in so much work to distance herself from this and to to reinvent herself as this as the strong heroine as she as she is um but being reminded of it just just seeing the image of it is enough to just like mentally and, and emotionally knock her down all the way to that that really low place where i think we're we're finding her in this arc yeah and i think the question from there has to be then you know what is the value of memory in this kind of situation, right? Like we're going to have in a couple chapters, we're going to have a memory that uh, was stolen from her by Amy become unlocked. And it's a horrifying memory and it sends her spiraling as it would anybody. Um, and, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, is, is there any value in remembering that kind of stuff or does it only bring us more pain? Mm. And I don't know if, I don't know if the, the story has declared an answer to that yet, or even kind of tried to get to an answer on that yet. But it is a, a question I think we have to ask ourselves as we go through these, these horrifying moments. Yeah. I mean, not to skip ahead too much, but she's fairly consistently throughout this book been like, it's better. It's better that I know. And then in in these chapters, she's she's finally thinks to herself, if somebody could just take away these memories, I I might say yes. Yeah. Um. And that, that's I think the first time we've heard her kind of think that and and feel feel that bad that she would just yeah. rather not remember. Yeah. So at this point, she has a one sided conversation with her passenger, trying to figure out how much of her emotions, thoughts, and behaviors are from her shard. Um. But she also considers it equally plausible that this is all just her. She still does not listen to Tattletale. She's <laughs> unable to think holistically. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I do think about that like every single time she does this, where it's like, I, I, I think you're exactly right. Honestly, I think that I think that they they are wound up together, especially events that happened when she had a power. I feel like that's just the Victoria Shard organism that that is yeah. responsible for it now. What I really like about this moment, though, is that it's dialogue like she has talked to Fragile One before, like out loud. Certainly that has happened. This is not the first time that's happened. But this is like a full on like paragraphs of dialogue that she's talking to this thing. And it, it seems like she's trying really hard to have a, a conversation like she pauses and waits after saying things. And the text reads, the fragile one was still and unresponsive. No gestures, no lip movements, even as I relaxed my control. And I just love the detail of no lip movements because it's almost as if she expects it to open its mouth and talk to her. Yeah. And it's like, really? I, I really? think she I think she does. I mean, also, that's interesting because we know she's had this sense of control, but this kind of clarifies that the sense of control means she literally feels the force field as like a extension of her body. Yeah, um, which yeah is, that's true. So um, I, I think she's desperate for some kind of communication. And, and I mean, I don't know if she expected it, but she definitely wanted it. Yeah, I just the no lip movements really jumped out at me. Like it's yeah. like 
are you going to even open your mouth? Maybe just mouth an answer to me. What, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So after, after this point, uh, Victor has been getting closer. Uh, so she engages in battle with Victor, or, or I should say the Nemean Titan, who has been slurping up skills and abilities from other people and becoming stronger and heavier and more efficient in his movements. He almost nails her with a piece of surreptitiously hurled concrete, and then he aggressively goes after her. He gets close enough to hit her with his zombification power, but not before she's hurled herself through the crack and then cut out all volitional actions, letting herself become just a ballistic free body. Yeah, I, I like this fight a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Just like the the stakes of if this guy even gets too close to me, game over is is really fun to read. Um, she's kind of just like running away the whole time trying to strategically do stuff. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's so damn sneaky, I really loved the bit where he like secretly tries to ninja star a chunk of concrete at her. Mm-hmm. And the only reason she knows about it is because Sarah painted it with a laser beam to let her know it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a... a in the middle of the fight later crystal crystal like fires a laser just like in the air in her general direction just to give her a warning of another attack coming and so she is able to dodge those two and it's kind of like if not for these two women like with a really heads up move on warning victoria of something she could she could be dead yeah yeah um definitely um this sort of thing brings to the fore uh crystal and and sarah as in, in terms of being important in this arc right like um we're almost getting more crystal and sarah stuff specifically crystal stuff than we are other members of breakthrough so far in this arc i would say yeah i think that'd be a fair statement for sure yeah um but yeah that's all that's all great uh, and and it's very like you said it's 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 a it's a cool fight it's a tense fight because at this point she's just thrown herself into the air and just prayed basically like I hope, I hope, I hope basically, uh, he's going to take my powers. I can't avoid it. And, um, I just hope I get my flight back by the time I hit the ground, which is intense. I love the, I love the do nothing Mm -hmm. thing. She screamed to herself. Like it's just like Victoria feels like she always needs to be doing something. So to her to like yell to herself, do nothing was a really powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. So the Nemean Titan, it's, it comes up so close to the edge of the crack that it sees down inside the cracks and it sees visions of uh, presumably uh, himself tormenting a girl with scissors. And I mean, it seems very likely this is Victor's induction into the clans. Um, And it's, it actually completely steals the attention of the Titan. The the Titan just ignores the fighting that's, that's continuing outside and just watches the scene unfold. Yeah. Which is really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen in that Titan interlude chapter that there are, inside many of these titans little bits of human and those little bits of humans bring up or play memories for certain reasons to influence to remind to control um and we see in this chapter that there's still most likely some victor in there there's a moment early in the fight that we didn't talk about where victoria sees hit like he like gives a stance like he stands a certain way that like distinctly reminds her of victor and she's like ah there he is he's in there somewhere um so like the implication in the text here is that Victor is still a part of this, mm-hmm. but here he's absolutely enraptured by this memory. Like this, this memory of this horrible thing he did to an innocent person as, as part, as we assume part of his initiation into empire 88 or just a general white supremacist clan. Um, he stops everything, stops fighting, stops doing anything to just watch and relive this memory. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder what, what emotion he's having, right? It's, it's obviously he's completely inscrutable, but like, 
is is he watching because this is horrifying to remember is is he has he forgotten who he is and this is a reminder it, it, it yeah. is it's interesting to speculate on but we're not really it sure is, it is uh, before we move on from that moment i want to point out that he's torturing um a black girl with gold wire in her hair and the person he was just chasing down and trying to kill was a black clad woman with gold highlights on her costume yeah i i that's a really great pull and i think you're right i think normally i would push back on that idea but it does seem like we're specifically trying to draw that connection like i mean the to, the text takes the time to point out the gold wire and this this girl's hair so it seems like that's there's a reason behind that like it did we didn't just toss that in for just fun for just flavor it seems like there's a reason behind that um it is interesting though because like titans don't see the way that humans normally do right mm. they don't have eyes so i don't know exactly how that all connects like in world but just you know going through the movie like uh like imagery wise i think that's really great yeah i mean it's i i pulled it out because i i thought it meant something but the only thing that i could think of was actually on kind of the most um kind of straightforward level of uh basically the the shard and the human communicate through memories basically yeah and yeah. And, and so maybe victor was was giving the shard this memory or, or the shard was using this memory of here was another time that I attacked and tortured someone who was reminiscent of this or or maybe it was even like see like part of the reason why Victor Victor went after her so uh so aggressively was because she reminded him of this terrible moment in his life um it could be kind of yeah. either one of those or could be some other thing that I'm, I'm missing but I guess that raises the question of like when when a person stands in front of a crystal and looks into it and a memory plays is, is that like, is that random access memory? Is it just like pulling whatever it's just like whatever in the sec that like each section has a theme of a type of memory, a file system. Is it just pulling like the first one that comes up? Is it intention? Is it pulling with intention? Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we don't know enough to really say it, it's, it's just conjecture. Um, but, but it's interesting. Yeah. I, I do wonder if we're going to get clarity on that kind of thing or or if we're just going to move away from the idea of these shard windows. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll I think we'll I mean, infrared. I think we're going to be dealing with this a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, my opinion. Maybe. Yeah. What before we move on, there is something I really like about this particular scene. Uh, we see these images of Victor doing these unquestionably terrible things in his past. And then he moves away from the crystal. He, he, the, one of the memory ends and he kind of like loses attention and goes off and fights again. But before Victoria looks away from that same crystal, what else do we see? We see a memory play of rain killing snag. And then we see his team gathering around him after the aftermath of that supporting him. Then we see a memory play of Victoria breaking a thug's spine and then taunting him. And then her family gathers around her in the aftermath. She specifically notes no punishment, no, nothing happens, just a hand on the top of her head, like a supportful hand. And so when she, when Victoria sees, looks at, at Victor's memory and she sees Victor's new family surrounding him, what she says is an induction for the younger generation, ugliness creating ugliness. And then she sees these two scenes play. And after each of these scenes, she says they're different, which of course is true. They are different, right? Victor was torturing an innocent person in, in, in the name of this horrible Nazi cult he was trying to get into rain in this, in memory was killing a villain actively working to harm him. Victoria was beating up a criminal it is different, but not all of it, because the important part here seems to me 
is not the action, but the reaction. In each event, an ugly, violent act is done. And in each act, the person perpetrating the act is surrounded by their quote unquote family. Uh, some literal family, some found family, uh, and and that family is not admonishing them or punishing them or lecturing them, but they are supporting them. An induction for the younger generation, ugliness creating ugliness, and I, I think that's really fascinating to see it play out like that. Yeah, I, now that you now that you lay it all out like that, I don't know how I didn't make those connections, and that that's that's really great. So so thanks for <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel like what you just said earlier about the shards kind of storing things by topic is relevant here. That like here we have a, a situation where it's it's got a whole bunch of memories of times that people did violent things and then were basically praised and accepted for doing so. And how and, and you know, the, you can almost imagine the shards thinking like, ah, oh, yes, that, that, that's a good trick in order to produce violence. We just create situations where <laughs> where we basically prompt the younger generation to do so by having the older generation encourage them. And that's. That's great. And if, if you're the shards, that's really all you care about. You don't care about the context. You don't care about whether they were heroes or villains. You just care about, well, can, can I use this to get more conflict? So Yeah, I think you're right. What is it she calls them? Like a misery, uh, uh, what is the word? Students of misery, yeah. something like that. Something like it's, that. It's, it's really great. Yeah. So Kenzie has been um, warning her and, you know, giving her messages through her eye thingy for, you know, for a while now. And, and uh, it, I don't know if you ever pointed it out out loud, but it, it uses gold text, which is going to matter a little bit in a second. Yeah. Um, so so Kenzie warns her that the bombs have all been planted. They're about to go off. And when they do, uh, the the explosions, even though they're far, far away from her, they physically rock her. And, and she sees the lights of 100 powers in the distance wink out, which is presumably like closer to where the explosion was I, I i was thinking sure and then scotty shows up to stop victoria from firing the last shot into the crystal meaning yep this is this is a threat and we get this mm-hmm. line which i pulled out because this is the red chapter this is the red arc rather i'm gonna pull out all the color stuff still falling i pulled the trigger and i went from seeing gold letters against the black and red backdrop to seeing the stygian blue aftermath of those letters and the golden beam um so I had to look this up. I feel like I should have known this, but Stygian colors are simultaneously dark and impossibly saturated. Basically, they're an impossible color. Yeah. Um, Stygian blue is what you see after staring at a bright yellow thing and then closing your eyes or looking at something black. Uh, so this is exactly what you would see as as like the after image of gold letters. Uh, and of course, the word Stygian also means related to the River Styx, the river <laughs> of the underworld, which... Victoria just hurled herself across in order to escape uh, Victor. I love that last beat. I love the, like the, the the further connection. I was just like, oh, cool. It's like this was that impossible color. We were having a conversation about these impossible colors in the discord the other day. And I was like, cool. That's one of those those crazy colors. Um, and then, yeah, but then to further push that to, yeah, this again, this connection to the underworld, this connection to the shard world as as quote unquote hell, the underworld the underneath, the infrared. Um, I, I I think it's really, really great. And I like it a whole, whole bunch. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if Wild was doing the, the wordplay more than usual, or if I'm just paying more attention to it for some reason, but I'm, I'm really loving this, this aspect of things it today. It does. The thing that's cool about books is it doesn't matter. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I really I like the writing here, I think is actually really good, though. And I think just dealing with this, the shard world in general has been really good because 
like we're dealing with the physical manifestation of an alien memory storage system, right? It's this thing that's really confusing and weird and abstract, but the text always keeps it grounded and understandable. Like when the laser punches through the crystal, I love the description here. The laser punched through. It was like pressing my hand flat against a wall, pushing and feeling the hand go all the way through, except the feeling of breached reached through me was me, my fragile agent, my power. So it's this this really great way of, of taking what is kind of a very abstract thing to understand, which is that she punched through the world and and therefore because her power is attached to this thing she technically punched through her power it's not just punching through like this this crystal like like you want to like physical make it just physical right it's just like this big block of crystal and we just shot a laser through it but no it's just representative of something and therefore she feels it her feels her power being knocked through I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love the abstract language that nonetheless a- appeals to your mind and makes you kind of imagine like impossible things that still make sense to you. Yeah. I, I have a, a stu- stupid question that feels a- a- almost obvious, but can't. Uh, uh, so anyway, are we are the red crystals the shards like is she looking? Is that the, is that what the shards are? And then everything like all the all the crazy stuff with the powers and the titans and and, and everything is just like them exerting their will on the world through complicated mechanisms like I, like we keep thinking of this as like a computer but it's like yeah but we know the shards are like a crystal being so is this just the shards yeah i, I don't i don't know either but um, i did i my my gut reaction to was to say no this is just like in the 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 floopiness of the like reality breaking it created it it op- opened a a door to this this existence this plane of existence that never really was ac- accessible on a physical way before but floopiness made it happen so I, I i never saw it as when you're when you blow up a crystal in the shard world you are literally bro- blowing up a piece of shard um, I mean, the, the, the naming nomenclature seems to say that that's true, right? Like shard, yeah. crystal shard, like that would make sense, but that's not how I saw it. But I mean, I immediately like was like, well, I'm not sure enough about that to say no. So I'm, I'm going to settle on a maybe. Yeah, it's one of those things where I didn't see it that way until I until I just thought of it and said it just now. And now I absolutely see it that way. So, mm-hmm. well, I, I think I think. I think it's something like this, but maybe not what I said just now, but we'll, yeah, I think we'll figure it out. I made it much more abstract in my mind, but yeah, I, I, I'm not even sure. Like I just, I was just kind of yada yadaing over like how that would work. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Victoria feels her power slipping away and she makes a hasty landing. She sees all the Titans around her collapse. We see Ophion's minions melting away. The strange Titan is briefly visible as TV static and Scotty is not healing. Um, <gasps> Of course, the good guys aren't in great shape either. Capricorn is stuck in a half-shifted state. Sveta has collapsed into a pile of ribbons. Um, and even apparently one of the agents down in the dream world has been affected. Yeah, yeah. What I love about this is this is like the first real progress they've made in the fight, right? Like um, like measurable, like we we hit them and we hit them all hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, when they do this, they're attacking the core of what being a cape is as well so everything that hurts the titan's ability to fight 
hurts their ability to fight. It's a double edged sword in every way. Um, and, and I think it, at least it seems like the Titans are slower to recover than the capes are. Yeah. So that's the one edge they have is that they recover from this big hit faster. Yeah. I mean, this is like the first time in, in an arc or so that I've felt like, like I could take a somewhat of a deep breath, like, okay, they figured yeah. out a way to actually hurt them in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it comes with a price. Yeah. It comes with a price. And this idea that, that as they do this, it's hurting their powers and their goal is basically they're going to have to continue using this approach to hurt the, to hurt the Titans. Right. Like, like, so yeah. it, my mind immediately goes to the place of like, okay, we're, we're playing with the idea of, of destroying the source of powers or damaging the source of power sufficiently that, that potentially the, the people could lose powers. You could, you could have no more powers. Yeah. And I feel like focusing so much on crystal is, is a, I don't know, foreshadowing perhaps, or framing for, for this idea that like you take the character who is throughout the story been the most identified with, Oh, she does everything with her power. She has no secret identity. She uses her power to, to cut meat yeah. and, and, and look at that the impact of this risk or, or possibility of losing powers on her. Yeah. And of course the, the case 53s slot very nicely into that as well, mm -hmm. which are people that like are in many ways are their powers mm -hmm. like as literal as possible, even more so than crystal. Um, and, and what the risk there is, uh, Sveta recovers, right? Sveta falls into pieces, but recovers. Mm -hmm. Uh, wh what if she doesn't? Yeah. What if the powers don't come back? And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, yeah. What is, where does that leave her? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Kinsey reports that powers are different now. Everyone's powers are different now, but but within the training tolerances, second evolution limits type um, thing that, of course, Victoria knows what that means. It gives her comfort. Um, I love that nobody knows what the fuck this means yeah. except for Victoria. She says Tristan probably does, but not even Crystal knows. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, this is definitely just some things she read in a textbook and, and those people yeah. would never do that. So she experiments to find out like what her power differences are and it turns out her force field is smaller and and we'll find out later that it's got fewer arms and legs than it used to yeah so we don't spend a lot of time really like examining the how of this right it seems like they punched a hole through the wiring of some sort of shard computer and it caused a crash and maybe like a rewire that ha caused connections to to route through diff slightly different things and just change things just slightly that's the only thing I can come up with. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be too literal with it, but like her, her force field seems to have reverted slightly. Sure. Um, so I'm wondering if there's like some, it, it, it's almost a hint as to like things have been pushed or like the, the clock has been wound back in some ways. Yeah. Um, but it's not consistent in that regard, it, right? Not. Because Tristan's power doesn't line up with that. Yeah. I don't um, think he ever had building production power that we're aware of. No, nah, it, was, it, was, it was metal, so yeah. uh, I think yeah. ruins, well, no, because it doesn't even, I, I assumed they were metal ruins, but really? are they? I just assumed it was just like almost in, in like a labyrinth way. It was like summoning just kind of <laughs> um, uh, yeah. arbitrary fabricated ruin looking things and throwing them out into the world. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, think, I think because I connected it to, we're jumping way ahead, but I think because I connected it to the like the city being destroyed i just assumed it was like modern ruins like ruins of their city but i think you're right i think it's much more likely that it's just like like a ruined civilization mm -hmm. like brick stone yeah collapsed I, buildings i saw it as stone especially because it seems to just sort of collapse into a pile as soon as he produces it 
Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So Victoria's gun is getting more and more beat up as this arc goes on, and she's continuing to talk to it. In fact, maybe talking to it even more, um, apologizing for dropping it. Um, <laughs> Scott, I think I think Victoria is the gun. Yeah, we've been joking around about the personification of this gun for a while, but I think you're right. It's it's a brute force weapon that is being overused, whose battery is constantly being drained. It keeps getting more and more damaged as the fight goes on, but it keeps getting dragged into each new conflict. Because it's so damn useful. Uh That sounds super familiar. Yeah. Yeah. When she runs out of batteries, she pulls out the battery and throws it at the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. The chapter ends as we learn that Arachne and Fortuna were the only two Titans unaffected by the attack uh, because they broke their connections and were never connected. Um, Yeah. And and then Fortuna is moving towards Shin. So I'm a little confused about this and maybe just talking through it with you will will make it understand because like it seems as far as we know, this affected capes pretty unilaterally, right? Um, Like every every cape or. Yeah. Yeah. But so but capes aren't connected together. Well, I guess some of them are like through the connection powers, like if like everyone connected through a. Um, Tattletale. What's her name? Yeah. Or Darlene. Yeah. Or Darlene, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't quite know exactly what the mechanisms of of connection are. And like, because clearly the um, Titans seem to be creating connections of a whole different order. Um, yeah. And then there's, there, there's all, all kinds of powers who seem to have some capability for connection but um yeah yeah maybe i'm just maybe i'm just making an incorrect inference which is that it did affect every single cape like we we've just seen a specific a specific handful of ones that are in this fight that we know for sure it affected um maybe there's some that it that it didn't just like there's some titans that it didn't my interpretation was that it affected everyone because kenzie says like just she says powers are different now doesn't she so yeah to me that seems very general and sure I'm just wondering how breaking a connection in that regard would make it you immune to it. Surely there's some humans out there without connections. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think about it very much, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. You're a big help. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I feel like as as we go farther into this big, complicated, kind of abstract Titan fighting thing, it might become more clear what's going on. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because I remember at the very end of Worm... Dr. Mother was like, we're going to win by some abstract weird thing that's impossible for us to to comprehend. And and Taylor was like arguing with her and had a different perspective. And what's interesting is that Taylor, you know, did defeat Scion, but only only stalled the cycle. And it, it has actually turned out that Dr. Mother knew what she was talking about. The only way to really stop the cycle is... And you know, currently involving this really weird and abstract and and powers bullshitty type approach of punching through into their dimension and 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 setting bombs off on their crystal computer and so forth. Are you like Tarzaning your way to a cauldron was right opinion over here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's I I I think it would be foolish to to say that Doctor Mother just didn't know what she was talking about. I think her approach was you know, evil, but clearly it was grounded in like an understanding of how the powers worked. I think she probably did know how things worked better than, you know, the PRT, for example. All right. Well, I guess this is the perfect time to transition 
to a Case 53 interlude. Yeah, that's right. That's a great um, bridge. There is one more thing before we end that I wanted to say, though, because I, I like I love this beat at the end where it says Fortuna is moving towards Shin, but then Kenzie types towards Chris. I love that little extra, that just little extra at the end there. Because it's just this another small moment to remind us that as much as Kenzie like stood up to Chris and called him out on a shit last time she saw him, uh, she still cares about him. She is not let it, ready to let that friendship, whatever ship, uh, go. She she's still she's still important, and yeah. I think that's gonna matter. Right. I absolutely think that's gonna matter. This is one of those occasions where I want to you know remind us that 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 all happened like a week ago. So it's, yeah. it's definitely still a fresh wound. And I think that was like two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I would believe I that she know. still has, you know, feelings and, and affection for him despite all that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Egg interlude. Man, I told you people, you all laughed at me about the egg thing. Now look. <laughs> it's egg. Yay. So, so here egg demonstrates our author's flexibility with very different perspectives while simultaneously making the idea of having an egg body seem relatable. Here, Egg is experiencing a lot of feelings uh, since, as we'll learn shortly, all the K-53s are gathering for a big powers testing meeting to see if there's anything that they can uh, be used for against the Titans. Yeah, I think Sveta like offhandedly mentioned this Victoria, this to Victoria a couple chapters ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we're now getting to kind of see it go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Wildbow cleverly uses the opening line of this chapter to basically explicitly lay down the main idea of this interlude. Egg is a kid who sees everything through the lens of betrayal. That's how everything he views, every interaction with everyone around him is uh, someone who has betrayed him or someone who probably will betray him. <laughs> And the problem Egg seems to have is that his definition of betrayal is super loose. Yeah. <laughs> super loose. Yeah. Just just to get a little a little bit meta for a second, not gonna dwell on this for long, but I feel like um this always happens when we read these interludes of these kind of de- divisive characters, is we read the chapter one time like a normal person, we have a certain <laughs> reaction. But then we later have to go back and reread it in detail and take notes on it and then talk about yeah. it at length. And w- where we land on these characters, you and I, is never where we where we were after the first read through. Yeah, and, totally. And, and so when folks disagree with us about the reading, I'm like, you know, I, I wonder if you would feel different if you also like literally took notes on it, because it's hard. It's hard to unsee certain things after you have dug into the text like this. And I just feel like that's to blame for a lot of the like disconnect between our takes and the general take of, hey, it's, it's com-, you know, I, I always I always find that my opinion on these characters shifts in surprising directions. And this is no exception. Yeah, I agree. I, I went into this interlude like not liking Egg. I think the first time I saw it was Egg. I was like, oh, fuck this guy. Uh-huh. And then I, I finished the chapter um, and I was I felt bad for him. Yeah. I, I like pitied him like I like and, and, and not that that pity goes away, but I think you're absolutely right on reread, on examination, on writing down notes. I kind of I kind of circled back around to this guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like I do feel bad for him. I think he's lived a terrible rough life. But like you watch all the ways in which he allows like his preconceived notions and these rigid ideas of things completely destroy each and every interaction he has. And it's just like, dude. Yeah. I mean the, the hypocrisy and, and, and kind of 
blindness that he exhibits is something where I guess it, it does very much remind me of just being like 15 or whatever. I don't know how sure. old he is exactly, but it's it's a very, very relatable and realistic mental state for um, for a young a young person um, who, who feels very uh, isolated and, and is angry at the world. Um, and all of that is true and you can feel bad for him and you can understand that he's young, but there's just a lot of stuff in here that I think we're going to pick on. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Um, I, I think the more, before we go on though, we have to define him as a guy who definitely wears his emotions on his shell, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and we find out more about why this works the way it does later. But, um, anytime he feels something, that feeling threatens to crack his shell open. Right. And, and we see even early here in the very beginning words of the chapter, um, the way he feels, uh, like bubble through his yoke. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like his yoke itself is like, is emotion is the feelings he's feeling get transferred into that goopy yellow stuff. It's basically the pink slime from ghostbusters 2 again it's uh it's mood yoke yeah it is thanks for grounding this in ghostbusters because that's my that's my perpetual job is to ground everything i read in ghostbusters i didn't i didn't know where to take this but but now i now i feel very comfortable i mean if you think about it the shard world is really just a hidden dimension behind a painting in the new york museum of art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm right there with you buddy okay so we see Egg begin to meet the other K-63s. Uh, Whippersnap first touches base with Egg, and we establish the irregular system with subtle uh, signals to indicate comfort and preference for different forms of greeting. Uh, Egg is not doing great in this moment, and he opts for the equivalent of just saying brother, um, which is which is the lowest contact form of, uh, of greeting. Yeah, and, I, and this is one of the moments, especially on the first read, that I just felt so bad for this guy, right? Yeah. Um, like, this... We've talked so much throughout this book about how important physical contact is. Um, Victoria recognizes all the people around her when they need hugs, when she wants to give them hugs. Um, and, and Egg desperately seems like he needs some hugs here and he just can't do it. He just can't. It's, it's too, it's too risky. Um, he can't do it with, with whippersnap. And that might also be related to how, how he's mad at him, but he can't do it with Chantilly. Um, it's sad. sad. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's usually the, the fact that he's so painfully self-conscious of, the risk of, of getting goo on them that that's yeah. prohibiting him from getting the comfort that he really does need. Yeah. So, um, Chantilly is there as well. And so, yeah, we've met Whippersnap and Chant- uh, Chantilly before, uh, but it feels, it feels kind of fresh to see them through Egg's eyes because he mm-hmm. has this palette of past experience with each of them that Victoria didn't have. Uh, and apparently Egg used to have a major crush on Chantilly. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, he's also got baggage with Whippersnap who tried to convince people not to attack Cauldron, which Egg has, um, you know, Egg, Egg was staunchly on the pro-revenge side of that argument. Uh, so he stopped talking to Whippersnap since then. And, I, you know, much of this chapter concerns this type of, of rumination by Egg, taking stock of who is on his side, who has wronged him in the past. Uh, and Egg is really good at finding ways in which people have wronged him. Yeah. Later on, we'll see that even Faultline is somehow a traitor against him. <laughs> He's got a bit of a, a thin skin, this fellow. He does. He does. Yeah. Fault line for hiring some case 53s. Yeah. Traitor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do think like this 
intro with these two characters is a great way to set up and, and really distill down the ways in which the behavior that egg is going to have throughout this chapter. Um, first, like when we, he meets Chantilly, this is this woman that he greatly respects to the point where he says that she's the first case 53. He could see himself dating and doing other things with, mm-hmm. um, she, he describes her as this person who went to a regular school and endured the bullying, which he respects a lot. He finds her pretty and brave and sweet, but he's also got these super complicated emotions swirling around her embarrassment and shame connected to the time he tried to jerk off thinking about her. And, uh, he, he broke his dick. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then, and then there's, there's frustration because he wants to hug her here also and can't. Um, and there's so, all these complex terrible emotions surrounding this person that he respects a great deal. And then there's whippersnap, his old friend that he now considers a traitor because he didn't think violence was good. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, we see in him this kind of very specific, if you're not with me, you're against me mentality that egg will carry through this chapter. Um, and, and, and I see like connecting back to the talk about memories that we've been talking about throughout this arc, egg thinks hears him and connects back to this idea of looking in the past and he sees whippersnap and it makes him think about the past and it makes him think about the time in the past where the everything diverged to the moment it it, it, it we have here and how what could he have done differently how could he have played his cards differently to to keep people together to convince whippersnap that he was wrong and egg is right um this this idea that he's constantly looking back at those moments and saying, how could I, or how could they have gone differently? Um, and that's going to be something he does constantly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, rumination, I think is, is the key here. He's, he's just, just utterly fixated on, um, I don't know, like you said, trying to, trying to, to fix, to fix things in his head. Yeah. And then we see later that Chantilly even falls into that traitor category, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this. I love this paragraph. I have to read it all because it's so good. Being here, seeing people, it was dark in its own way. If he tried to count off the individual betrayals on his fingers, he would run out of fingers. Whippersnap had bailed when they needed soldiers and allies. Chantilly had gotten mad at him for getting mad and stopped talking to him. The Palanquin guys didn't answer the call for attacking Cauldron. Too many PRT Case 53s had refused to leave the organization, even after the Eidolon revelations. Grackle had driven a major divide into their ranks by pushing the happier and friendlier Case 53 crap, only for his subgroup to end up more bitter and vicious than any of them, calling other Case 53s traitors unless they follow the specific Grackle way. Hey, Egg, that last one, that's what you're doing, buddy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's this great, it's this study in toxicity, right? Yeah, it, yeah. In like what, what it is to have a, a toxic mindset about, about a group specifically. I mean, it reminds you a lot of fandoms, actually, where, where <laughs> people split into like factions and yeah. often over just the most inane, meaningless bullshit, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least like he, they all they all have way more in common than they have different. And yet, yeah, they're going to split uh, these. That Yeah, I think yeah. you're absolutely right, it, especially that last one uh, with with a grackle. I mean, it, it sounds like it ended poorly, but at least the, the first part of it, it, it was like, yeah, cool. Like like positivity. Great. Mm. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> that traitor. <laughs> yeah. You're a bunch of traitors. Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, and, and this is like I, I think 
one of the things we see in egg is this kind of push and pull between this idea that he, he really hates himself and he's really disgusted in himself. And I think he's at sometimes disgusted by the idea of case 53s in general. Um, but also like it's, he, he, it's what he is. It's the group he belongs to. It's the identity that he prescribes to. And so there's this real kind of back and forth push and pull conflict, just innate inner conflict about this whole thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do think there's there's a degree of self hating in there. Um, yeah. it, it's it's buried, but it, I, I think I think you can find it though. Yeah. So I, we I just love. Yep. Sorry, I just like the. I think it really jumped out to me in the the like. This was the first case fifty three I could see myself dating. Like it's just such, that's such a such a charged statement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I knew exactly how old he was because it it's so it, it's like this is one of the more. Um, I guess like softening character attributes that he has where like he's somewhat fixated on this idea of dating and he really um, the fact that he's he's considering dating case 53s uh, it, it, it it's it's see it reminds me of being like 15 or, or 14 or whatever where where sure, like sure. You, you sort of have like a flimsy grasp on what you're actually thinking about and yet you're thinking about it all the time anyway um, yeah because he obviously has no real experience with it because he's he's young and he just his life has been the way it has been. Yeah, he's an egg. He's an egg. Yeah, I like it. So we meet this new character, Black Forest, um, and she's fairly young. K sixty three looks like a scarecrow. Uh, she and Egg had previously had some long conversations on Parahumans Online, and now Black Forest is majorly crushing on Egg. Oh yeah, uh, and it's it's obvious enough that it even gets through his. Uh, uh, shell. Um, <laughs> but, but, but he finds her exhausting to be around. Yeah. I mean, I, I love like that, that interaction with her is kind of so adorably sweet where she like walks up and she, um, she's trying to, trying to like explain, I think she's trying to tell everyone she's a villain and he immediately like interprets that as that she's dating that the other case 53 that she's with Hexy, I think yeah. her name is. Um, and, She's like so immediate, like, no, 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 no. And at first you're just like, oh, that's a that's a like an overly big reaction. But it's because she's crushing on egg and she yeah. doesn't want egg to think she has a girlfriend. It's like, yeah. no, I like guys. I like you. Right. Uh, it's kind of adorable. Um, and I, I, she's like the worst possible person for him, though. Like she's barbed wire and sharp vines and pokey things. Yeah. And he's an egg. This is another slightly, you know, um. I keep using the word softening, which is not was not meant to be a, an egg joke, but, but but like it is now. It is now, but like a character, like like an attribute that Wildbo is is including to be like to humanize him and and even make him seem kind of not as bad as he otherwise would be. I guess like just the fact that he recognizes the hypocrisy in like basically rejecting her because of her body. Yeah. Which he he sort of in passing recognizes, but can't really do anything about because it's just how sure. he feels. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I liked I liked that moment, which is a bit later, but I, I did like yeah. that moment. I like that moment a lot too. I mean, what I like, what I love about her so much is like, Egg is constantly worried about how disgusted she's going to be by him, and she really just rolls with all of it. Mm-hmm. Like he gets some yolk on her, and she's fine. Um, when he pulls out his his bird <laughs> she's just like hi birdie yeah. and it's like she just like is totally fine with all this and he's just disgusted with himself and i i think she's great yeah yeah i agree uh, but what so one, one of the things 
now that we've said a, a good thing, we need to do our, our open face compliment sandwich, uh-huh. um, which is as they're kind of walking into the, the building, uh, he's having this discussion with black forest about her villain arrangement. And we basically get the details of this. She lives with a group. Uh, they choose to do what, what, what they want to do by committee. She's sharing a room with Hexy, that other case 53 that she came with. They have a den mother that like takes a share of their earnings. Um, the team is, seems to be accepting of the two case 53s on it and they are free to leave any time, but they also like have a real trouble finding a place to belong. So they're not, they're not quite as free to leave. And it's like, it's an arrangement that she seems happy with. She's happy where she is in life. Um, she's enjoying everything. And eggs response to this arrangement is not free. Can't leave. It's bad. Like mm-hmm. in his mind, he's like, Oh, you're, you're trapped. You're not free at all. Like you're trapped in this whole thing. Um, and it just really reflects the, the black and white way. He kind of processes everything. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Egg is 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 a cage free kind of guy, and he and he doesn't yeah. um, he doesn't doesn't like to see that. Anyway, damn it. <laughs> um, I just find it delightful that Egg thinks that Gregor is totally awesome. Yeah, I mean he he is though. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, the the thing about this, the thing that he loves about Gregor is this. Like, first of all, he's like tough as shit. Like, you're not gonna accidentally crack his skin open. Um, but he's also just this like. Like, I feel like Egg is a person that is constantly struggling with his emotions, right? I mean, the, like textually, right? Like he cannot display his emotions. Every time he feels something, it threatens to crack him open. And so he's always having to like bottle down his emotions. And so he looks at Gregor as this person who just seems to just like be calm, in charge, tough, strong, impenetrable. Um, and... I mean, we know that's kind of not true. Like, we know Gregor pretty well, and he's got a lot of personal shit going on in his life, too. And so, like, I, I just it, it makes sense to see, like, a younger person look up to this adult that seems to have all it all figured out and, and admire him. Yeah, I think I think I think you can I think we can say that Gregor has made more progress down the path of self self-acceptance than Egg yeah. has. Oh, 100 um, percent. Yeah. Yeah. But is that the part that? Egg likes about him well, I, his self acceptance. Well, I don't know because I, I I think you're more I think you were right that it's basically how he comes off as, and it probably doesn't hurt that he has like a beautiful wife, um, which True. like like is pro- is also very enviable and kind yeah. of like a a sign of success to 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 Egg, I would think. Sure. So I like how Wildbo subtly shows us that Angle is sort of Egg's caretaker, almost a mother figure, although. The text doesn't come right out and say it that way. Yeah, I mean, we find out that when he had nobody after the end of after Gold Morning, he, they were the only ones that he was the only one that she was the only one that he tracked down. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right that there is that kind of unspoken arrangement there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it is really interesting because we've only really seen Angle from the perspective of Victoria, who sees her as this, this person who makes her feel terrible things. Yeah. Um, it's pleasantness that is disgusting to her. Right. And so seeing her from the perspective of another character who doesn't have that, who, who feels the way, like just feels good, feels warm when he's around her. Right. She's the source of intrusive thoughts to Victoria, but for egg, it's, it's like he, he like basks in her. I I think I just, I, I didn't pull out the, the lines, but I, I liked how the text very efficiently conveys that, while Egg totally does like wallow in Engel's presence, it's not at all sexual or romantic or anything like that. It's it's yeah. it it's, it kind of seems to me more like it's just 
pleasant sensations and and why wouldn't you enjoy that yeah um, i think you're right i yeah. think egg makes it pretty clear when he's doing anything kind of attraction or romantically thought yeah like any kind of thought in that regard so yeah. i think you're right yeah so there's this moment of awkwardness and confusion as the K-53s sense that something is off with the pair of human science people that they meet. Eventually, after some tension, it's clear that the previous group of K-53s warned them that the woman who is actually in charge looks a bit too much like Dr. Mother, and it might freak some people out. Uh, and so that woman is taking a back seat, and it's causing some confusion. Um, and then we also learn in this scene that Black Forest is a lie detector, which sets sets uh, sets the scene up for later. Yeah, Um and we'll learn later that it is Sveta and Weld and their group that is that past group of case 53s. And it was Sveta herself who decided that this was a good idea to kind of, hey, you look kind of similar to Dr. Mother. Maybe you should stay. That was that was Sveta's idea. And I think this is actually like a perfect way of setting up the plan that Weld is going to try to initiate at the end of this chapter as the bad thing to do, because like, here's what happened. Like they, they came in. And they tried to sneakily do something that they th they thought would make the case 53s feel better. And not only did that not work, but in in trying to do that, they actually like. Made this group of extremely gun shy, uncertain people super worried about some sketchy stuff going on because people were acting weird. So like in their attempt to make them all feel better, they arguably made things more worse and they cause some momentary panic around some people that are very quick to panic. Um, and, and also the truth came out anyway, so it didn't actually do anything for them. Um, and I just, I don't know. That's like to me, a perfect encapsulation of this silly plan that they're going to try at the end of this chapter and leading into next chapter that is going to blow up in their faces. Yeah. I liked Gregor's wisdom bomb here where he's like, look, you're making yourself work. Uh, you're making yourself come off worse. Um, yeah. behaving like this you, you rarely do poorly by just being honest yep and that's that's <laughs> gregor's so great and everybody yep. should listen to gregor but no we're going to continue uh well does well is going to try to be tricky which is not his strong suit <laughs> let's just say that right up front oh god um yeah. uh yeah we'll get we'll get there but let's just talk about um B bijo bijo i don't know how to I say it that. was bijou bijou i don't know uh, Bijou is a mess of uh, doll parts and cloth crammed inside of a corpse's skull. Um, and I that's love a sentence. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's fucked up. And and I love I love uh, I love this thing that that she says um, when um, when uh, basically there, there's they offer the, the the idea of like not not using the the corpse that she's piloting. She says, "I'd like to hold on to the possibility I get back this life I sacrificed and worked to build." Yeah, <laughs> this life I sacrificed and worked to build. Like, yeah, I killed this person and then I built a <laughs> life out of this person. It's such a like the co the concept just blew my brain apart. It was, yeah, that's that's really great. I, I actually for whatever reason, like I, I even saw you pulled that quote and I was like, why do you pull this quote? And then as you read it aloud to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think I just part. I think I just read over it the first time because yeah. it's almost nonsense until you think about the implications of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I am not going to lie. This was one of those areas where I had to read this section multiple times the first time to really get a handle on the image we're seeing here mm -hmm. because it's so like like she takes her face and like rips it open and then like the doll parts like sew back the piece. It's just so fucking trippy yeah. and weird. Um, 
I'm really into it though. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a fun idea. And I suspect we'll be seeing more Bijou, especially since now, like we have, we get a pretty clear indication at the end of this chapter that there's some covert shit going on and we have someone that can like climb inside a body and take it over. Yeah. We got some body snatchers going on. Yeah. And yeah, we got two of them, right? Cause, mm-hmm. uh, well, multiple, no, that right? Is Matryoshka, that's not how she works, right? I can't remember. Uh, no, she eats people, right? She eats people, but there's like flexibility to it where like then she can kind of take their form, right? I, I don't know. It's complicated. I, I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. either. I, I thought she adopted qualities from them, which is not really the same as being a body snatcher. But Sure, sure. Uh, so before we move on, there's this moment where I, I'm going to give Egg shit again <laughs> because okay. Egg is super observant, right? And he notices that that people have clearly been there before him. Like, I think he notices how freshly printed the forms are. So he's like this. Obviously, there were people before us here. Um, and so he wants to go off and snoop. He's immediately, immediately snoopy. And he set, tells Bla- he doesn't want Black Forest to go with with him, but she insists. And so he allows her to come with him. Um, and, and there's this funny moment where he gets a little yoke on her and just feels absolutely terrible and you just temporarily feel bad for him again but then we get this moment where it turns out black forest is also a traitor and and why is black forest a traitor matt black forest is a traitor because they were talking on the computer before gold morning and then the world ended and then he reached out to her on a computer and she didn't respond because the world ended Uh maybe she didn't have a computer because the world ended. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is one of those moments where I, I think the text doesn't give him like may, maybe I don't remember exactly. Does it say like that was a bit unfair of him in his internal monologue or does it just not even give us that? Because it's, it, it might. It might. But, I, but, I think he does. I think he does acknowledge. I think he does acknowledge the the unfairness of it. Yes. But I, um, I think he acknowledges he it. Yeah. Feels it. He still feels it. And, and he doesn't. He doesn't work to to be like, okay, I need to get over this. I, I think yeah. I think the little voice in in Egg's head that says, I need to uh, I need to get past this is non existent and needs to develop one. Sure, sure. I think that's fair. Yeah. So Egg hatches himself partially, letting a giant baby bird per- poke its head out of his body. Uh, he asks the bird to sniff out familiar people and then she changes form to accomplish this. So we've got this cool master changer type thing going on. Yeah, it, it's cool. Like he he's got a, a baby inside him mm-hmm. and he named the baby. It's real cool. Yeah. You said it was cool. It's real cool. It's cool. We learn later that he has three little baby birds inside him. And this Ray is the smallest one at two times his mass. Uh-huh. And the other ones are as big as houses. It's neat. So that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's cool. <laughs> can't wait for is it cool man it's um i'm uh i mean he has a it's powerful <laughs> i mean when we first met him i was like so his his power is that he's really fragile and full of goo <laughs> what does he do and and of course yeah. it's actually pretty strong he's got like house-sized minions inside of him apparently so yeah that have certain power i mean we don't even really get the full extent of what they can do yeah really just we get here is that ray uh is like smelling i I don't even know how she's locating yeah them but she does well it seemed like he said like hey could you sniff him out and then she's like 
morphs into something that can sniff things out at his request. Right. Which hints that maybe they can sort of be whatever he needs them to be, potentially. Sure, but surely each one is different. I mean, like, I I feel like, like personality wise like we're dealing so much with the emotions and how the emotions feed into the yolk so it just seems to me like they're they're going to be different yeah yeah like, sure outside sure. of just their different sizes yeah i'm sure they have different like why, why else have multiple of them i guess yeah but yeah i think that makes sense so egg follows the trail of weld and sveta to a nearby area where he confronts them but not as aggressively as maybe we were afraid he would uh, he, he's still jealous at seeing uh sveta's body he's so jealous actually that that uh the bird almost breaks out of him um to yeah attack her and that's kind of what we understand now why like why he he's this person who is kind of forced to bury his emotion right because if he, he feels it too much he feels too much the birds eat it and then bust out right yeah um I, I, they sit in this this mood slime and then nom up all those great emotions and then get really agitated if they presumably if they eat up anxiety, they get anxious, anger, blah, blah, blah. That's the presumption, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, all these these bottled up emotions take the form of giant bird things. Yeah, I like this idea. Um, but there is this beat that we hit twice in this chapter. It's at, at the beginning. Um, Egg sees shamrock is her name right i'm remembering her yeah. name right i didn't write it down and and he sees sveta and they're both rocking those cauldron tattoos and that angers him because they both look they both look um normal mm-hmm. right i mean yeah. like and and I, I, he he mentions it's so interesting to me like how he how he lines his morals up because he sees shamrock like in the early part he saw shamrock and he said oh i i she has a tattoo. I thought she was just like a case 53 groupie. Um, and he was fine with that. But then she said she was one of us. And that was the line that he got very upset with. And he, I think he says he's kind of worked his way past that, but also now he sees it with Sveta here again. She's got the tattoo, that tattoo, like almost a symbol of you are part of this club of these people that Cauldron did this to. And yet you look normal. You have bodies. You don't get to be members, right? You, you, don't look like us anymore. You don't get to be members of this group. And he's resentful of that. Yeah. Once again, this is one of those things where it's simultaneously relatable as, you know, as, as being a young person who probably had very similar, very stupid thoughts about like whatever subgroup I was part of as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But also you can just be like, that's, that's just, that's just awful. Like, like, you know, like gatekeeping is such a, such a bad look uh, for, for anyone really. Yeah. And, And it is gatekeeping. And we, I mean, we know like, the the commonality that all these people have is that they went through horrible, terrible things at the hands of this organization, uh, and and many of them were left in these this monstrous condition. And mm-hmm. to to say, sorry, you don't look that way. You don't get to be part of this group. Is plus that's that's just Sveta. She she went through the same shit. Yeah. Like it just drives me crazy. One interesting thing about uh, Shamrock from this chapter is that she's actually the one who's almost like spearheading the. Um, no, I'm sorry. People are going to be very uncomfortable with someone who looks like Doctor Mother hanging around. And, yeah, that and is interesting. The way she says it, you're like, oh, like it, you you are going to be really uncomfortable uh, with with her hanging around. Like like so, basically, Shamrock is is so upset by 
by this, presumably partially because she actually has more of these memories of, right, of being right. like tortured and tested than the others do. Um, and and so if anything, her her actual like residual trauma from being like a test subject in Cauldron is is greater than theirs because at least they had their memory of that erased. Um, yeah, so. I like that because that goes to this conversation about memory we've been having all, yeah. all night. Right. True. True. Yeah, we, we do. And, and I think they explicitly mentioned this idea to, just to remind us that, that Shamrock did remember stuff from Cauldron that, that no one else did. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty easy to uh, rag on Egg because he's a selfish, yep. bitter punk who is mean to our favorite people. But but again, there's a lot of bits in here that make us feel for him, show us how hard his life has truly been. And here he thinks in terms of moral principles, which I, I find a bit endearing. Um, thinks about the principle of like, um, what what if everyone did what you're thinking of doing? How, yeah. how would the world work then? Um, unfortunately, he's using this moral principle to try to justify attacking a bunch of heroes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. Like I I do, and this is one of those this is one of those things where the first time I read it, I was absolutely like, yeah, like your his his definition for what is right is what if everyone did that? What if everyone decided to sit out on the important battles? What if everyone fixated so much on what they wanted that they forced results that nobody wanted? And I think those are valid questions to ask. And and I could see, I could see a, a way in which Victoria would agree with those principles kind of, right? Like what, what if everyone decided to sit out of the important battles? That's something Victoria would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not good. Um, the difference is Egg takes that and then distorts it for himself like uh, that last one what if everyone fixated so much on what they wanted that they forced the results that nobody wanted well that's 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 what you're doing buddy (laughs) like he's got this he's got this if you're not with us you're against us mentality and like this and this idea that like he what he wants what he his path forward what he thinks is best for the group is the only way. And that's the, the break point with him and whippersnap. That's the break point with him and the, the group, um, the group of, um, the, I forget what the name grackle or whatever his name is that wanted a more friendly, peaceful, like that's his break with all these people is I see, um, this is what I want. This is what you want. And I want my thing more. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it, it does show how like, otherwise good moral principles that I can generally agree with. And I think our protagonist would agree with on a certain level uh, can be distorted in the minds of someone who sees things like this. Yeah. I think that one of Wildbo's real superpowers in character writing is this ability to express uh, distorted thinking, like what, what, how, how having a certain mindset really warps everything about your inner and not just your inner life, but warps how you see the world to the extent that you're capable of having these thoughts where an objective person can be like, how did you get there from there? But, <laughs> right. but, but you also see like, it's not like a contradiction. You see like, Oh yeah, I, I, I've maybe even felt that way. Or if I haven't felt that way, I can at least see how this person from where their head is at could feel that way. Yeah. That's really amazing. Like as, as, as a writing and, and psychology thing. And, um, sure. and I just love every time something even, something in that you know realm happens in, in these books yeah i also as you were talking ju- just looped around to that first argument what if everyone decided to sit out on the important battles instead of agreeing to fight and that's a f- flawed question mm-hmm. i mean we had this whole argument last arc 
by Tristan that sometimes you should sit out on the important battles. Sometimes you're not up for it. And that doesn't make it morally wrong. I mean, it's it's also like I, I was wondering when reading this. Is is he on some level? Definitely not consciously because he never thinks this way. But is, is he on some level struggling with guilt because he advocated for this massive attack on Cauldron and like everyone died? Yeah. And the way he has contorted it is to be like, well, if everyone had gone, then we would have won. Yeah. Like but, like he, he sat out because he was too young. Yeah. Right. And I, if he feels if I had been there, things might have been different. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some survivor's guilt, but there's also, I think, denial that it was just wrong. Like, like they were walking into a situation that was much worse than they understood. And, um, they probably like, like even if everyone had gone, they probably all would have died. Yeah. That's interesting. So, and, and he never thinks anything like this. It's always just like everyone, everyone, but me was wrong. And it's like, yeah, but your plan resulted in everyone, everyone dying. Like what, what are you, how how are you missing this? It's almost it's funny because it, it, I, don't, I don't think it occurred to me until after I was done reading, even though it's so obvious because it doesn't occur to him, and you're and you're so in his head that that you you don't think about things that Egg doesn't think about, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I think I I think I think you're right on. Like, I'm not I'm not opposed to like making that leap. Um, without any like explicit textual support to mm-hmm. it, because I, 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 I think, I think there's, there's some logic to it. Like that, that it, it explains his desire to push. It, it, it explains a desire to push, um, with like everyone the blame on everyone else. Yeah. If he's feeling it himself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a kind of survivor's guilt and, and complicated stuff, but yeah. Um, so just uh, moving on from that, um, I, I can't express how much I appreciate Black Forest chiming in to tell us that Harbinger 5, um, I'm sorry, Jeff's explanation for why he His left the boy band. is Jeff, the nice number boy, Matt. <laughs> I'm Get sorry. It right. I'm sorry. Uh, Je- Jeff's explanation for why he left the boy band uh, is actually true because she is a lie detector, uh, which means I, I can put down the chocolate. You can. You can safely put down the chocolate and we can now feel safe for Sveta because she's got Jeff by her side. Because mm-hmm. really, it's I, I think I think there's enough stuff to worry about in this book for, that, that we that it's, it's actually nice when the author is like specifically don't worry about this thing because because I'm not going to stab you in the eye with sure, it later. Sure. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, Scott, um, we were just talking about chocolate just now. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want everyone um, to know that I never ever stopped believing that witness was there all along and that the witness interlude is totally canon. Matt, Matt, uh-huh. you are, your obsessive conspiracy theory nature has this time proven correct. Witness the echidna tattletale clone does indeed exist and is active in the world, but that doesn't make the interlude canon. It is not in the book. It cannot be canon. I, Just because she exists doesn't mean the interlude happened exactly that way. I'll make it canon. The question is, though, I think, how does this pay off? Is this just a fun little, hey, remember that moment? Or are we going to be doing something with this? We we know these echidna clones hate everything that their original loved. Like, what is her 
What's her deal? The fact that she's What's four years old now makes me wonder if she hasn't like progressed past that. Sure. I mean, because you would think that Tattletail would have dealt with her by now if she was gonna, if she was gonna go after Tattletail. Why would she wait four years? I guess is my thought. Which makes me excited. Like imagine, like like the the idea of one of those twisted, hateful fucks like transforming into someone actually good. Uh, it's just a fascinating idea to me. Yeah, but but it's not canon. Yeah, well, it but it's witness though. <laughs> but anyway, the witnesses here. I like I I am. It would be interesting seeing this like fly in, right? <laughs> like, cause this is this is like this is a thing that happened in the last book. Like, not there are people reading this book who have no idea who witnesses. And like, <laughs> like didn't freak out and probably flip their table like you did with, out yeah. of excitement when you read this. Yes. So it is interesting. How is this going to play out? Is this going to be is this going to be like a swerve? Like we know Witness is calling herself a case 53. Right. Right. Um, which makes sense because I don't remember that interlude very well. But she looks like most of the echidna clones don't look quite quite. Uh, yeah. Quite Th- human. That was her scam. Oh. Is that she she cooked longer than the other ones? She stayed in echidna too long, so she looks mm-hmm. even more fucked up than the normal echidna clones did. And she played that off as being like, "Yeah, I'm a case fifty three that's been in hiding." Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I mean, it, it would be very I, I, like I'm not saying the book couldn't like swerve to do something really interesting with this, but I think that like you got to lay a lot of the pieces down that just haven't really been laid down officially. Right. Yes, it it would definitely be it would definitely feel out of left field if if witness suddenly became super important. I think this is probably just a fun wink. Um, which for you is specifically for me. Yes, I, <laughs> I I received the wink and I'm happy. So. So, yeah, anyway, Egg has this moment of conflict where he has the option of leaving and saying nothing or saying something. And he chooses to say something to ask Weldon Sveta and I guess the wardens to offer hope to the case of E3s, uh, even if it's a false hope. He's he's asking them to lie. Yeah, to betray them. Yeah. like And he's even acknowledges his betrayal of his group as he does this. This guy who's so wound up in, in the concept of being betrayed by these people does this. And he, he, and I think you're absolutely right that he's so conscious of this activity, but it never stops him, right? Mm-hmm. He, he calls this is like transitioning from childhood to shitty uh, like to being a shitty adult because this is what shitty adults do is they betray people um and and so he's just going to join that team by by betraying his his people um and asking them to give them bullshit hope and their response to that is no (laughs) i don't think we can do that and he's like then fuck you then which is like egg make up your mind buddy yeah yeah man so frustrating it's it's frustrating being in his head because i mean i don't think i was ever this bad but i can i can identify with just being kind of angry and dumb and hypocritical so yeah um so then then proceeds this complicated multi-layered weld and sveta uh, communicating subtly with each other to let egg believe that Sveta never told Weld the message that Egg tried to convey. Yeah. Si- it, situation. It, it, yeah. Basically, 
Weld or Svet <laughs> Egg, third time's a charm. Egg brings up the thing that the the moment that we saw in Sveta's interlude where he told her um what the what the real idea behind their organization was and that that the the fact that they want revenge was becoming more and more important to a larger group of the people. Um and they pretend like in a in a moment like Weld makes this decision at like the drop of a hat, basically that, okay, we're going to pretend that she never told me this and therefore I'm going to use my anger and disappointment and feeling of betrayal in Sveta to endear the rest of the case 53s to me because I, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault. And therefore you shouldn't be mad at me. And therefore he can get an in with them and win them over to his side and in order to help them in his mind. Yes. Right? That's like that's, I think that's it. That's it. It's it's incredibly complex and and there's a lie detector standing right in front of them. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's it's very like it's so, so I have some thoughts about Weld which I would like to air at this moment. Yeah, go for it. I think that Weld um is fucked up like he he's he's he basically took on leadership of the irregulars and everyone thinks he's this boy scout great guy um they still do by the way like he still has all these like characters in the story who are fans of him sure but he then led the case 53s into a situation where they then betrayed him and tried to kill him and then they all got killed so he probably feels like horrible guilt for how all of this went down and oh, we I'm never sure, really yeah. see in a, a real indication of, of this. But like I, I feel like Weld is struggling with some really strong emotions surrounding the whole case fifty three situation. Maybe even worse than Sveta, because like Sveta didn't actually lead them into that situation. She she had her own role in it. But but Weld kind of sees himself as a certain way, and it probably fucks with him a bit that everyone sees him as this paragon when he he feels he, i'm just guessing because he doesn't say this but but i would guess that he feels like a failure who let everyone down and led to a horrible disaster yeah and and so i feel like what's happening here i, I realize i'm kind of piling on conjectures but i feel like what's happening here is weld is so desperate to like regain some connection with these case 53s or regain some esteem in their eyes or, or redeem himself from his mistakes that he is doing very uncharacteristic and sort of stupid things um, that are that are really going to blow up in his face. That certainly uh, draws a very convincing picture of of why he would undertake this seemingly ridiculous plan. Um, I, I like that a lot. I, I, I it actually it's so awful to me and it's like not even awful because it's a bad plan. I think it's just awful to Sveta. I mm-hmm. think it's just incredibly rude. to. Sveta. I mean, he is basically leveraging the case 53s hate of Sveta, a yeah. thing that like is devastating to her. He's leveraging that feeling and using it to get him in closer with them by saying, Hey, Hey, me too. Yeah. Hey, me too. Um, and it's, it's just so mean to her. Like, I and, and she, I mean, we'll see in the next chapter that she's like, hey, we're Weld and I are doing this thing and she's going along with it. But oh, my gosh. Yeah, like we're I, it, it, it. I can't imagine her actually being OK with it, you know? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's 
it, it's it's so awful, right? I, I agree. I felt the same where I was like, oh, this is just, oh, this is just terrible. Like, yeah. like nothing good is going to come of this. This is this is definitely just a horrible, horrible idea. So yeah, her ex boyfriend and guy that she still looks up to quite a lot has to pretend to also hate her to get in closer with the group that still hates her. And they're going to bond over the fact that they all hate her. Right. And it's not like part of this plan is like, and then he's going to like put in a good word for Sveta or something. It's it's all yeah. just like now everyone hates Sveta. Yeah. Cool. I mean, maybe he sees that as a long term like side benefit of the plan. We don't see that spoken or said, but maybe in his mind like that, that that's the way forward is once I'm in with them, maybe I can start to kind of explain and, and like change minds mm-hmm. towards Sveta. But in the meantime, uh, the, the, he's joining the We Hate Sveta Club. Right. And and, and also that's not going to work because sure, Egg sure. has already like Egg within 20 minutes of this plan starting has already turned everyone against him. I'd skipped ahead <laughs> a bit, but that's yeah, that's yeah. But I, I do think it's really interesting that he walks away like he thinks when he thinks this is all true, he walks away like brighter and happier because he understands the world now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it, not everyone is a traitor. It was just this one person. <laughs> it's just this like, like, well, this didn't betray me. Like, like every, everything is the treachery was smaller with simpler answers. Um, it wasn't as awful and widespread. He's just like focused that traitor beam on one person, um, yeah. temporarily. And that makes him feel better. That's what makes it feel particularly awful to me is, is that it's like he feels great because now he can, like you said, literally just hate Sveta yeah. purely and intensely. And it's, oh, my God, this is going to end so badly. Yes, it is. This is this is like this whole chapter is just like a build up to a disaster. Yes. So we finish uh, the, the, we finish the chapter seeing the case of two threes being um, hit hard. Well, sorry, I guess we kind of already talked about the idea that Black Forest reveals that Wetwell was lying and um, backfires the whole plan against Weld. So, yeah. Yeah, which was a miscalculation on his part. Like, I don't think he probably knew Black Forest that much, did not understand how uh, loyal Black Forest is to Egg um, because of their interactions online. Mm -hmm. Um, Which also, to me, like, shows that, you know, whatever happened with the, the when they lost contact, like, it shows to me that I don't think Black Forest was just like, oh, I'm done with you. Don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like she's loyal to him here. Mm-hmm. It, there's obviously probably a, another explanation for why she didn't reach back out to him. Um, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, Egg takes this knowledge and decides he's not going to tell anyone. He's going to keep it to himself. They're going to keep it to themselves and they're just going to secretly but flip the group. He describes it. They're going to flip the group to their side. And then when the time comes, going to ask them a question because the one thing he hates is that he feels Sveta and Weld made the choice for them and didn't tell them about it. So he's going to give them the choice, but he's also going to covertly like win them over to his cause. Yeah. Which we don't know what it is. Yeah. What, what is this question? It's going to be, it's going to be bad. Oh yeah. Um, so we finished the chapter um, with KCD3s being hit hard by the interruption of the powers. Um, some of them hit hard enough where you can honestly believe that if the power is turned off, they might die, like like uh, Black Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but of course, they recover pretty quickly. Uh, and then, uh, so I love this line here. Um, he reached for Rhea and found Gobbles instead. He had to reach past something that wasn't Rhea, wasn't Gobbles, and wasn't Herc before he found his familiar companion almost buried beneath the others. So, so people get power changes. 
He got a new God birdie. Got a, got a new little birdie. I'm sure Chekhov's, it's... Chekhov's God bird. Yep, Chekhov's God bird. This is going to be bad. This yeah. Everything everything about this interlude is, is terrible, and it, it's fitting because it's egg, and we know that eggs are extremely, extremely bad. <laughs> I hope he pulls, pulls a fucking titan out of his egg. It's just like, just a whole titan. <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah, that'd be good, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't... I don't know what Egg is up to, um, other than other than fucking up whatever Weld and Sveta want to do. I don't know what he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, like it ends with Black Forest looking down, almost as if she's looking through the ground to what lays below. To which, hell, yeah, to hell, to the shard world, whatever. It seems like that's the direction we're going, and then we get the line: "The body snatchers are in." I don't in. The shard world, I think like that's uh, the, he's going to do something with the fact that K-53's powers are very close to the surface, right? They're going to be doing some tinkering in the shard world. Uh, tinkering's a bad word because that has different connotations. They're going to be screwing with some stuff in the shard world um, on their own secretly with body snatchers. <laughs> yeah. And it uh. might and maybe maybe it'll maybe it'll all work out and oh. nothing bad will happen. Yeah, sure. Sure, Scott. <laughs> sure. All right. Let's move on into 19.3. The Titans oh are retreating. Fortuna is mobilizing. And we're heading out of the frying pan and into the clutches of a four-dimensional anaconda made out of fire. What does a four-dimensional anaconda made of fire look like? Uh, I mean, I assume you pictured whatever I pictured in your head when I said that. Well, that's a cheat. So Victoria finds a spot to park her laser and then she uses her aura as a warning light as she's landing, which apparently causes people to just freeze in place. Uh, Scott, I've been waiting for Chekhov's aura to pop off for this entire book, and I feel like we're getting close. Yeah, we're definitely going to find out some information about this damn aura, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe never what was up with previously, but what's up with it now? Yeah, I I, I don't you find it all interesting, though? Or, or perhaps not interesting and, and more just indicative of her emotional state is that she seems relatively uninterested in really examining her new powers, right? This is Cape Scholar Victoria. My files are the most important thing in the world to me, Victoria. And she flares her aura. People look at her not in the way she expected. And then she's just like, got to figure that one out later. Um, yeah. Then, then she does the same with her force field. Basically, she makes sure it's still functioning um, and and I think she mentions to to Jeff that it's three sizes smaller, which is a great Grint reference. Thanks, uh-huh. Victoria. And uh, and then he says, interesting. And then she says, it wasn't really capturing my attention right now. And look, that makes sense, right? She's worried about her team. She, there's a bunch of crazy shit going on here that she's worried about. And her mind is in a hundred different places. But she's also the scholar. And I am a little surprised that we don't see any internal monologue in her where she's like wondering how did the powers change? Why Why did this happen when we did that? Uh, is it going to happen every time? What is my aura doing? Like, w- she's pu- not interested in any of the, the answers to those questions right now. Yeah, it, that is interesting. I mean, she she clearly is going to need to know exactly how her power works to continue fighting. Um, so there's, there's a pragmatic reason to be interested in it. But setting aside the pragmatic reason, she, just like you said, this is her personality. Like, she finds this stuff fascinating. I, I do think when it comes to her, her, um, 
her force field, she's got kind of a weird relationship with it where sure. she's kind of used to like looking away and not thinking about it. But it has been interesting to me throughout the book, throughout the entire book, like people will say stuff like, um, like they act surprised when she says her aura is a, is a, is a awe aura. They're like, no, I don't really get any awe. It's all just, <laughs> it's all just terror. Like she, she's like surprised and then she doesn't think about it anymore. She really, really doesn't think about it. People have remarked that her aura is this like low key, super, super powerful thing that she has that she, it's not that she doesn't use it enough. I think it's more that she doesn't think about it as much as, um, I don't know as as much as it maybe it deserves or or yeah, I think yeah. it, it it's it's more it's more interesting than she gives it credit for maybe um yeah well we haven't really seen her use it recently either and and I think that makes sense because does it work on the Titans yeah true I, I mean think I think she used I think she tests it on them and nothing happens and she's like yeah okay I think that's yeah I think that's accurate yeah um so we get this line from her she's continuing to talk to the gun she says <laughs> sorry for the abuse gun you're doing a good job. So Scott, I, I, Victoria is totally transferring her own feelings onto the gun and then treating it the way that she wishes someone would treat her. The gun <laughs> is getting seriously beat up. A bit later, she has to bend pieces back into place with her hands. It's, it's so sad. It is. I, I think you, you made that connection a couple chapters ago, and it continues here, uh, especially as we see the, like, the real emotional struggle, struggle and, and ringer she's about to go through for the rest of this chapter. Yeah, I feel like the gun is going to end up floating away from her as she's on a life raft and she's just going to be screaming Wilson while, while sobbing. And yeah, I'm, I'm shaking my head at you right okay. now. That's what's happening. So I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you. So she touches base with Sveta who is panicking, waiting fearfully for her body to settle down and knit itself together like it did before. And in a chapter filled with so many uncomfortable and devastating moments, this absolutely goes on that list, right? After everything Sveta has gone through, her power is wigging out on her right now. And and like we were talking about last chapter, we know powers have changed. We don't know how they're going to affect the case 53s permanently. It seems like Egg is OK with the bonus bird. But how is Sveta change in power going to affect the things that that duck that Mr. Bao did to her? Mm-hmm. Right. Like like she has an extra element on top of this whole thing. And, and and there's this potential that all of the progress that she's made physically could be undone in a moment. Um, yeah. And and she's got to be like and, and we add on top of that the emotional stress she's going through through plan. Sveta sucks. I, I just I'm really worried about her. I really am. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it, it, it's it's got to suck even if she gets her control back like the blow to her feeling of confidence and feeling of security is is, yeah. is going to be bad because it's like now just because you're better there now remains the option to get unbetter again at any moment basically right right well, i think we always talked about how how this solution was probably not going to be as as like just just light switch mm-hmm. like like you just everything's different now everything's good kind of solution that there are going to be problems that come with it and here we go. Yeah, I mean, I remember when she would when she was wounded. It was like the wounds were 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 weird. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's an interesting thing happening in this chapter specifically, um, <laughs> and I'm going to draw it out here. So Sveta says that she wants to wait five minutes. There are numbers describing angles and percentages in this chapter, and those numbers are 45, 25, and 75 degrees. Sveta is hanging out with number boy five. 
Weld later, later says that they'll leave in five. Okay. Okay. Victoria's force field shrank three sizes. In the flashback, Amy tells her to stop talking for three seconds. Tristan's power now seems to involve a series of three consecutive eruptions. And we're in 19.3. So, five, three, five, three. 53. So, so everyone, Matt watched Darren Aronofsky's pie last week. And this is why he's being like this. But how many times do you, do you need to see the number three and five in a chapter before it seems weird? You know, this is like the most insanely in-depth theory you've ever come up, up with. And I fucking love it. It's I'm I'm in. I'm fully in. Fifty three is everywhere. Fifty three. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, th- this is setting aside the number of times that they say the word K-53 in the chapter, which is which is a bunch. Um, so absurd. It's but there's there's like almost no other numbers other than five and three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm I'm right. I'm full. I'm in. I'm okay, totally good, in. Good. It's, it's utter nonsense, but I, I'm 100% it's genius in. is what it is. <laughs> it's a name of God. OK. All right. So the number five um, does crop up a couple times in 19.a, uh, but the number three never does outside of, you know, K63. So. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. Yeah. <laughs> One, five, three, seven. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so I think it's implied that Angle's power triggers flashbacks in Victoria, like in general, and, and it does so again here. My interpretation is that um, Angle's power is always sort of mining past sensory experience for its raw materials, which is exactly why it always made Vicky so uncomfortable. Um, like yeah, I think it was always kind of on the verge of dredging up a bunch of of this of this stuff, like it does here in a minute. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you gave me a good laugh there, because because here we go into yeah, this. Right. There's going to be no laughing for a bit. Um, yeah, I mean that was my read as well. Eng- Engel's power is like grabbing for raw like emotional memories, and in the process of finding them, it either inadvertently breaks down or bypasses whatever kind of mental blocks Amy had put in place. I think we saw that last time Victoria unfortunately saw her. And then we see it again here, um, right at the end of the section that the long hair of Victoria's force field rubs against the, uh, shoulder of the force field. And that's what triggers this memory that presumably was unlocked by the, uh, just looking at angle or being around angle. Yeah, and I mean, it's it seems to me that the form of her force field here is actually reminiscent of the form that she was in in this flashback. Also, yeah, I I I think I think that's probably right. I think like I don't think we can know that for sure, but it, it, we we do get noted it has less arms and legs. Um, the hair it doesn't. The hair is longer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, that begs the question though, like we just talked about how this memory was probably unlocked by and triggered by angles power. Right. But the wretch redid itself before all that, the wretch redid itself after the power laser reboot thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, does it hint that the shard has or had access to memories that Victoria does not? And that I I asked that question as I was writing it down in the notes and I kind of answered it myself immediately. Like that's certainly that makes sense. The shards are storing memories as they're happening into their database and that storage system probably independent from whatever shit Amy was doing to her brain. Um, So the shard probably remembers all that stuff or has it in its data banks, presumably. Right. 
I mean, I, I, maybe I'm going too far with it here, but you could even say like the shard just accessed that memory in order to build this force field. And so it's very close to the surface, as it were. And so it's the first thing that gets dredged up when yeah. uh, when Angle's power comes into play. And, yeah. and also it's possible that the shard has wanted her to remember this for some reason. That's very true as well. Yeah, I mean, like we, we've talked specifically about how memories seem to be the ways in which shards and and people are communicating mm-hmm. it seemed to be that's the way it was going down in the in the titan interlude um and we noted that there was a flash a random like flashback section in an earlier chapter and then we get another one here so um there is something to that idea possibly mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the flashback uh, concerns the moments prior to victoria's assault by amy uh, at a point where her body isn't all the way to the wretch, but neither is it typical. Uh, in fact, I think maybe it looks exactly like her force field. I, I already talked about that. Yeah, but, yeah. we talked about that, yeah. yeah. So um, in, in this scene, Amy coercively extracts a fake consent from Victoria using a combination of powers, leverage, and pressure, and it's just totally disgusting. Yeah, and as we talked about at the beginning of the show, I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time here i think it it mostly speaks for itself i do think like i do think what is being depicted here is important like to see what like coerced consent looks like is important to see because i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh myself included thankfully don't have to witness this kind of thing ever or never Um, thought about it too much yeah yeah, or have never thought about it yeah And, and and so i think like outside of the context of this story it's just functionally important to see that um within the book itself i i i do think it's very good writing i mean i don't think anyone that read this was not disgusted by it i say that i mean there's probably one person or something but to me that signals incredibly good writing and I, and i think i think wildbow manages to convey disgust here um in a in a really good way i mean the 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 tone of the way in, in just just removing everything else that is going on the tone of amy's dialogue contrasting with what is happening is gross Mm -hmm. right she's like like she's happy she's happy and and like like she's joking around she's teasing like when she says when she says master stranger protocols the response is i don't know what that means but i'm sure it's clever and like you're such a dork like while she's doing these things and 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 it is and then the wink at the end the wink at the end is like perfectly horrifying yeah um it it is like it is fantastic at trying to do at doing what it's trying to do which is just making you so uncomfortable and and disgusted and angry and like the thing is it's not surprising anymore right i think we've had enough interactions with amy that this is entirely consistent with the person that's been described to us um but it is still another thing to see it play out in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, it, it, it's, it just adds that much more to the scale of Amy being a piece of shit who we all hate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you said, uh, it's, it's executed incredibly well. Um, it, it feels weird to, to say that, but yeah, it absolutely is, is some, some fantastic writing. It does feel weird to say that. And it feels like, like we, when we finished with worm, one of the things I said, I was most looking forward to this book was seeing the ways in which, uh, this author has grown as a writer in the years between the first big thing he wrote publicly 
and uh, and the fourth big thing he wrote publicly. And and I was looking for I was when I was doing that, I was thinking of more like specifics to the craft, like structure and 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 sentence construction and and just the, the way in which he tells the story. And that the story has not let me down in that regard. But one of the things that I didn't think about was just kind of the I don't want to say bravery because that's like you're writing a story, right? But like also the willingness to dive into uncomfortable situations because you feel like there is something to be explored in them. Yeah. Um, is something that I think takes a certain amount of courage to do in, in books. And I, and I don't think a writer that didn't have a bunch of stories under their belt and, and, and a, and a, and a, a confidence in their ability to do it well, um, would be able to do. And I, and yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's, that shows a lot of growth in writing. I yeah. Think. I, I think something like this is a major type tightrope walk in the sense that it's very easy to, well, so, so, so when you're writing, you're trying to invoke a specific emotion or a specific reaction sure. in your, in your reader. And I think that something that Wildbo has just kind of gotten better and better and better at over time is the ability to just dial in exactly the emotion that he wants to create and that's what he does here. And and it's a tightrope walk because it's such a sensitive thing that it's very easy to miss, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's yeah, I think it's it's perfectly done for the horror show that it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh but is it a retcon? Um no, because it no. doesn't contradict something. It just it, it's it's funny. Is is uh is Luke I am your father a retcon? I mean I, I don't. I think it. I think. I think adding information that recontextualizes past things is not a retcon. It's. I a, think. I think Luke, I am your father, is closer to a retcon than this moment it, it, is. It is actually. It is literally a retcon because they made it up later, <laughs> but it still work. It still. It still doesn't function as a retcon because I think you have to contradict the past yeah, uh, established I, facts of the story for it to be. A I, retcon. I only bring this up because I keep seeing this argument, and I think this argument is ridiculous. And like, I mean, first of all, what like here's here's how we know what happened between amy and victoria in the pages of worm uh amy told carol about it amy told carol about it Mm -hmm. amy doesn't tell the truth when it comes to the bad things she does yeah she will warp and 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 like obfuscate yeah in, in ways to make her look as innocent as possible. So this idea that, um, well, Amy didn't, didn't make it that explicit. Well, duh, she still doesn't think that she did it. She still doesn't think that right. she really did she, that. She, 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 yeah, she wasn't herself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think all you have to do is go back and read that part of the story and you're like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I get why Wildbo wrote it that way at the time, because I, I like speaking of tone, speaking of dialing in emotions, I think if I think if we had been just like if we if it had all been laid out right there in the story, it would have like completely derailed what we were doing with Carol in that moment. And something like this has to be treated with with sensitivity and care. Right. And right. there was just no way that was going to be worked into the story at that moment. Um, yeah, I think it would have I think it would have sucked everything in that part of the story into that yeah. black hole of 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 difficulty that it's dealing with and yeah that that was not what that story was doing i think Um, an interesting question that springs from this is like is carol aware of this and in denial 
or is she um or did she never really put two and two together in the first place and there's i think there's a read that she's aware of it in denial um i think that would be a i mean that certainly makes her actions in this book even worse right Mm -hmm. with that i mean like yeah i mean i if she is aware of it then my opinion of her is far lower than it than it would be otherwise let me put it that way sure sure yeah um yeah so yeah yeah not it's not a retcon that's that's no the only way you can know that for sure is if wild boat said publicly that this was that that was not the play because nothing in the book says definitively that this did not happen right in fact the subtext says the opposite. Yeah. So. I mean, this is, this is not a difficult, this is not a difficult problem. This, this is knocked down. Right. right. It's just, I just, it I just, just is not like, yeah, it's Amy. It's Amy. Right. She's building a narrative of what happened. <laughs> like, yeah. of, like that's what she does. That's her whole thing. And it always was exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So she comes back to herself from the flashback and she's like clawing at her face in, in this reaction of just like shame and, and self-loathing. And it's horrible. Yeah. And, and I think the question I asked myself and the question we all have to ask ourselves, like coming out of this moment and seeing Victoria like this is why, why are we doing this? Like, like from a, from a, a narrative perspective and I'm not, I, I'm not like, I, I think like we, Victoria already hated Amy. Amy was already seeming to, willing to un, unwilling to admit the things that she had done. So like, why are we putting our character through this? And I'm not sure I know the answer to that question yet. I mean, I think by the end of this chapter, I got some ideas based on some of the things happening. Um, but like for the movement of our character, where does this advance us specifically? Because it's, it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot happened. And, and I mean, this is going to matter. I think it is too important of a moment to not matter to our overall movement of the story. But how does, how does this change the dynamic between Victoria and Amy from the way it was already. Um, yeah, and I, I think know. that's where I think, I think that remains to be seen. Um, that remains to be seen. And, 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 and this idea of memory um, is, is memory good or bad, right? Like, I, right, I mean, that's right. a, that seems like a simplistic way of putting it, but it does seem to be something that, that is, is being focused on in this arc, this idea that, she she didn't she she said she wanted all of her memories back if i recall and apparently she didn't get them all back but now she yeah. is and she kind of doesn't want them anymore now yeah well and certainly part of the violation that amy did was removing those memories right yeah. um because that you're 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 taking something away from someone without them asking for it yeah um yeah and and so th- i mean like i i wonder like I, i'm thinking back to to megafire's comments on the discussion question last week where he talked about uh, part of what ward is, is facing your trauma. Um, it's not just dealing with the trauma, but like, and in order to, in order to face these terrible things that happened to her, is there an argument that you need to know it all? Like you need to know all, all of it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't, certainly it doesn't make anything better in the short term. It, it does the exact opposite of that. She feels awful. It's almost like it's just refreshing her trauma, which is really terrible. Yeah. Like yeah. like gradually over time, if you're dealing with your trauma, then you should be able to think back on really terrible events and they should sting a little bit less every time. Um, maybe not monotonically, but like like that's that's almost that's that's part of my definition of recovery personally for me is like 
if I think back on things, does it hurt less? Does mm-hmm. it does it make my stomach clench less? And and for her, it's like here's a whole new memory, and it, this is so bad that it literally makes you claw your face. Mm-hmm. And now you got to deal with that, and you're already in a low point, and it's just awful. Yeah. So yeah. Memory. Ugh, memory. Yeah. It's a it's a bitch. So then you know we get from that to gun. Safe and new, clean metal and violence far removed from that, unlikely to, to trip any mental landmines or spark any memories. Good gun. Okay, so the gun isn't just Victoria. The gun <laughs> is something new, an idea of a new Victoria, hope, rebirth. Yeah, and, and it's a power that's separate from all her trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Like each and every power she has is connected to a trauma of her life. The wretch itself is is connected to this horrible thing that she just witnessed. But the gun is an independent power. And yeah, I know she has to use the wretch to operate it, but it's it's independent enough. It's mm-hmm. power. It's it's ability to have an effect on the fight, n- not directly connected to the bad things that happened to her. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So Victoria looks for Capricorn and finds that Tristan's motes have gone from orange to red, mm. uh, more, more red. Um, can't imagine the connection. Anyway, seriously, we, we've got red motes vomiting out ruins, uh, which are concrete manifestations of the past. Tristan's power now creates vestiges of the dead, ruined past. Great. Yeah, I, I love this so much. And, and I think before we really are able to like draw a definitive like explanation of this we really need to see how byron's power changed corresponding mm-hmm. right like i'm very very curious about what byron's power now looks like as well um and i mean it is interesting though because like we moved like it, at one point it was metal right and then it moved to rock eventually and now we've got ruins that are probably rock you're probably right i probably just imagine that wrong but still like rock itself is natural ruins are constructs they're they're buildings created by people so that this move away from the natural and rock towards this this thing created by man that also as you said is a distant past of and and ruined mm-hmm. um i it's very interesting and and i really can't wait to see what byron's looks like yeah yeah me too i, I that was like my immediate thought was like oh i hope we get to find out what the what the other one is yeah what if i mean it, it, it fucking summons a chocolate fountain matt would you lose your liquid shit liquid chocolate yes absolutely it's been it's been in the cards the whole time <laughs> i mean it is it is really fun at this point in the story to introduce this idea of slightly different powers because it gives us this kind of thing to be excited about <laughs> yeah and it um, has i mean it, it has an opportunity to kind of redefine and explore the current state of our characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like how did Kenzie's power change? Yeah. That's interesting. What will that say about how Kenzie's doing right now? I remember them mentioning like Kenzie was kind of like frozen still when this mm-hmm. happened. And I was like, I wonder if that's because she's reacting to something or if it's because she's like her power has changed and she's confused or something. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody pins down and unloads on Ophion who is almost crippled by the loss of his minions and the hit to his power. Almost, almost, but not, not quite enough, Matt. Yeah. Almost crippled. Yeah. We have this beat I want to pull out. Um, on your left, Crystal called out, why am I really going to turn suddenly with this thing and blast you? It's too heavy for that. 
So this is like a really small beat, but it's, it stuck out to me since Victoria calls it out in her thoughts the way she does. Right. Um, so, so I guess that Crystal doesn't trust Victoria's force field and maybe that's why the warning. Yeah. I mean, that was my read as well. I, I think, I think being cautious around Victoria is probably just a safe bet uh-huh. force field wise. Um, I mean, it's also could just generally be like, if you're a laser cape, like, you know, the general, like modus operandi when approaching mm-hmm. a cape firing a laser is to tell them you're nearby and and she's just so very used to that protocol because that's her power and that's mm-hmm. always been her power that she just does it um I, I i like yours better because it it fits in with this general like concern about victoria that i think we see in crystal but uh yeah I don't know. I, I do think regardless, it says something about Victoria's state of mind that her reaction to it is almost immediately like, why? Why are you doing what? 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 Why yeah. are you asking me that question? Obviously, I'm not going to turn this thing and slice right. your face off. Yeah, I'm not on edge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, 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 now that we're talking about it, I, I'm just juxtaposing with this idea of Crystal first landing and startling Victoria and then Victoria landing, landing and startling a bunch of people. And now crystal approaching very very oh, obviously and saying oh, yeah I, i'm here i'm approaching you um, yeah yeah uh I, I mean that that connection um can't be ignored by me now so sure yeah. sure uh, we also see in this moment that crystal's laser has changed it was red now it's magenta red we don't quite understand what that means but a bit later she does outline that it won't be usable for cooking and crafts around the house anymore right so Maybe something to do with fine motor control of it is is gone, um, which is it's a, it's a bummer. I feel bad for her. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the moments where I was like, OK, we're playing with this idea that she, this is part of her life and this is like a change to who she is. I mean, yeah. Like Victoria, yeah. her powers are important to her. But Crystal has once again always been the one who is inextricable from them. Yeah. And I think it shows like. How how much that is on the forefront of Crystal's mind. That's one of the first things she brings up to Victoria is mm-hmm. like, look, here's here's these things I can't do anymore. And I'm I'm consciously thinking about. Yeah. yeah. So just after this, we have this moment where Victoria thinks that right now, the way she's feeling, if somebody had a parahuman cure for it or something just to let her forget it all, she would take it or or, or she might have taken it is how she words it in her head. That's how low she is. And I think there, there are a lot of hints um, that Crystal is actually more or less babysitting Victoria in this moment and, and that yeah. and that Victoria probably seems really out of it to all of her friends. Yeah, I mean, I think that Crystal babysitting like there, we this great moment where we she notices almost right away, like Crystal flies up and makes this goofy quip about how Victoria's gun is kind of like a dick. Yeah. And it's it's very similar to like the refreshing and goofy quipping that we got a couple chapters ago. And I think you and I specifically talked about how good this felt in this moment where mm-hmm. everything was dire and bad. And then crystal kind of flies into the book again and just lightens the mood a little bit with her funny quipping with her sister. And this time Victoria is just like not in the mood for it. Like her response is immediately like, don't yeah. please. Um, and she's also happens to be firing her laser at a, a construct of, Ophion that just happens to look very similar to the wretch with multiple limbs and everything being mm-hmm. thrown out, which a uh, side note, do we think that's like Contessa level path to victory? Fuck you, Victoria. I, 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 I do. I mean, I think that Contessa is like, I, I guess we could talk about this. Yeah. I, I think part of her path is 
um, push buttons in this one particular very vulnerable, traumatized and, and, and fragile woman in this moment to put her in a space where she's going to make the choice that Contessa wants her to make at the right time. Uh, sure. What that's going to be, we don't know. But it's 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 this idea of shoving this in her face, sho- also shoving the memory in her face. You know, it's, it's totally a Contessa thing to be to like say make it so that she passes by the right part of the battlefield so that she sees angles so that she sees this vision just before she sees this it's just piling it on right sure um, sure yeah so yeah i i do think that's part of a contessa plot yeah. so so jumping back a little bit to that moment where she says um i would take a cure for parahuman i would i would choose i would make the, i would make the choice that i made after gold morning differently i think this is a huge moment and and i i don't think we can undersell the importance of this moment because like if there's if there's a couple constants in our protagonist throughout this book as like a list of the most important things for Victoria, um, number one, being a cape mm-hmm. has been such an important thing to her. It's it's such an important way of how she defines herself. Um, it, we, we start off the book and it wasn't even that, but she so quickly gets back to it. And then the second one was this idea of do not forgive and forget this idea of retaining memories and learning from those memories to ensure that what happened to me will never happen to anyone ever again. Uh, these are two of the most important aspects of Victoria's character f- from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And here in this moment, this, this terrible moment after seeing one of the most shockingly disturbing uh, memories that, that I've ever read, she's now like, eh, I, I would maybe make that decision differently now. Yeah. I would maybe not. I, I, I would I would give up these important things to me. I would give up these defining parts of myself to just not have to feel the way I feel right now. Um, And that is, oh, man, it's heartbreaking. It is like soul crushing. Like the 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 section, the flashback disgusted and angered me. This part broke my heart. Yeah, this was uh, like it's so sad. It is so sad. Yeah, right. Because it, it shows you how much she's been affected by this to the point where, like you said, it's 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 over, it's it's worn her down. It's successfully. I, I don't I don't use the word broken lightly, but I I think you could say that that, that it has broken her now, where she's just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm I've been hurting enough. I've been hurting too much. I can't endure anymore. If someone could just take it away, I would accept that, even if it took away something. You know, even if it crossed a line that I am very much against crossing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, yeah, it's, that's, that's horrible. It's horrible. You're, you're just like, oh no, as, as you see it. And yeah, I think, uh, I think again, like it, whether or not this is a Contessa level plot or, or just a wild bow pl- plot. Um, <laughs> well, it's definitely a wild, it's definitely plot. a wild bow plot. We're, we're definitely building toward breaking her, you know, gr- grinding away in, in the infrared, uh, usage, um, yeah. And exposing, I mean, potentially exposing more memories, right? Like, I don't want it to happen, but I can imagine it happening. Yeah, I mean, who who knows, like, how much more there is. I mean, there we know how much more there is. There's days. There's yeah. days um, of this. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, it really it really does, does drive that, that central question we started the show with about, are memories good? Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard for me to make an argument that, uh, remembering this particular thing, does anybody any good? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, 
at, at this point, Weld and the K-53s come over and they discuss enlisting Blake Breakthrough in a strike on Fortuna. Uh, they think that she's going for Lab Rat, and the, the team says, okay, we'll go with you. Sveta fills in Victoria on the whole, uh, well, pretending to be mad at her to gain the trust of the other K-53 scenario thing. Yeah, and let me just be angry about that all over again. Uh-huh. It's awful. Yeah. Why do you think, why do you think Lab Rat? Do you have any, any speculation there? Um... Not really. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really I really sat with it for a while and was like, what specifically? I mean, like the thing we know about what she's doing specifically, right, is um, cracks are coming. She wants to hold them off until the right moment. Um, we get a con- confirmation from that with, from Kenzie at the end of this thing that cracks are coming soon. Um, I just don't I just don't know how Chris slots into that. Yeah. And I really want to because we talked last week um, that we thought Chris was going to circle back into this thing and be really important. And here's the book kind of laying that path out for us that yes, he's going to matter in some very specific, important way and, and how that's going to play off. So I'm really, really excited to see where this part goes. Yeah. All I could think of is this idea that like Chris, um, wanted to make like a modified humanity and that maybe that would play into the like negotiated Seamurg Contessa plot somehow. But I, I really, I have no real confident predictions about this. Yeah. I mean, what's he even doing now? Because like we, his lab got destroyed, right? So mm-hmm. he's not, he's probably not making any more, any more big guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, that's accurate. I think he's, um, I mean, we, we kind of saw him participating in the fight with Arachne, but yeah, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know what his plans are in, in the near term. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so there's this part at the end that I want to talk to you about though. Um, uh, it's like the very end of the chapter. I replayed previous conversations with Contessa in my head, the decision she'd posed for us, the fact that she'd been unwilling to make it herself. Was there a weakness there a way past the Titan and to Contessa herself? And then the flashback image of Amy's face crossed my mind, alarming and disconcerting, gross, perplexing, somehow tied to the former thought. So that is, that's really interesting for me, right? Like this idea that she's thinking about how to approach Contessa, how to how to deal with with this path to victory Titan, and that thought process ties back to um to the flashback she just saw to mm-hmm. Amy, to this gross, disgusting image. So we were talking about, you know, before why why did we see this? Why did this happen? And this seems to lay the case for it somehow that this is going to that that flashback that some part of this is going to matter in the oncoming conflict a bit yeah i mean maybe maybe the waste even directly is is pushing her to see this like maybe waste yeah. wanted her to see that memory for a for a reason for a tactical reason sure like, like sure. it's like all it is to us is this really upsetting um you know human moment basically of, of, of horror, but maybe, maybe waste is like, no, no, I'm, I'm trying to show you something about this. Yeah. And um, yeah. And that, and that would very much make sense from the perspective of a, an alien brain who doesn't understand context, right? You were talking about that back way back in the first chapter that we were seeing these moments of, uh, do terrible thing, be supported by people that love you. And that's really, that's really the, the extent of what the shard, processed in that Mm -hmm. so i think there is something to be said about like like 
the 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 devastating and disgusting and horrifying nature of what is happening here could be lost on this alien brain and it is just looking at strategic like misery related like strategy yeah i mean it, it's uh, the 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 best connection i can make is like there there has always been this connection between the appearance of eden and the appearance of the wretch and i don't know hand wave something that she's yeah. trying to get mm. trying to get victoria to realize about maybe the idea of like uh, yeah I, I i've got a bunch of ideas and they're all they're all insane so I'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna let those cook for a bit longer yeah well we will certainly find out soon right yeah yeah one way or the other that's right so that wraps up our discussion for these three chapters um there was no discussion question last week so we will not be discussing the answers because there were none and next week's discussion question is who is your favorite k53 that is not sveta we had to add that last part because obvious reasons i feel like maybe not everyone not everyone would have picked sveta but i feel like a lot of people would have picked sveta and i kind of want to explore other ones she's been a main character in this book for a long time so i want to explore um your other ones yeah and of course favorite can mean kind of whatever favorite means to you it can mean most heroic can mean most fucked up can mean really anything so yeah totally so that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading uh you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our twitter account at gotwormpod. my personal twitter is at scott daily 85 and matt's is at egg 53 more dinner mail that's right <laughs> it should be um <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to we've got ward we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode you can find us on itunes stitcher youtube google play and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts and as always you can find all the other shows we do over at our website www.doofmedia.com and this week i want to talk about a little show called deep in pact matt uh-huh. because i've been listening to that show because i've been reading the good good pact lately And those guys are doing a great job 10 months ago because I'm in April of 2019. They're doing really good in those episodes, Um, but it's a really good show. I've been really enjoying it. If you've been holding off on Pact for whatever reason or just haven't touched in a while, I think it's a great way to experience the show. Yeah, it's very uh, I I like I love their show and I like binging it in in jumps of like six episodes at a time that's kind of how i consume it but uh Mm -hmm. it's it's very it's very enjoyable i really i really love what they do there i mean obviously i i liked them always but uh i've been spending a lot of time with that show especially this past weekend and it was a very enjoyable experience so if you like us at all you're definitely gonna like them i agree they will take less of your time (laughs) yeah 30 minute episodes i'm so jealous yep we also we talked about pie and, and the last uh the last skywalker or whatever it was called uh, the, on the rise on the of the skywalker yeah and then i made a video essay that was immediately blocked by disney so yeah if you follow us on youtube we are dabbling in some other kind of content and by dabbling i mean getting copyright flagged immediately um i listen to the essay with my magical admin powers but i can't let you guys listen to it because it's literally it's not possible it was good matt i really liked it thank you and hopefully you all will get to see it when disney responds to our um our disagreement with their copyright check you hear that folks 100 percent approval rating for my essay yeah 
Yeah. All right. So that's it's weird that it has it has a uh, eleven upvotes. <laughs> yeah. Because I think people can still click on it and upvote <laughs> it, but they can't watch it. Oh, that's YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is. I d- here's here's the honest truth: is Matt didn't even tell me he was doing that, and I suddenly got an email notification, three email notifications. Because the the best part about this essay that Matt did is it actually got copyright blocked three times uh-huh. one for the last jedi one for the force awakens and one for the rise of skywalker uh-huh. and this is all for just video clips from the trailer yeah the, the advertisement from the movie that they want you to see yeah thanks thanks disney youtube's fun yeah well that's uh yeah so if you like any of our shows or our youtube essays that are blocked consider donating <laughs> to patreon.com slash doof media you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford supporting us on patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like the ability to vote in our fan art costume and fiction writing contests um hangout sessions with us that we do once a month uh access to live streams of our recording sessions and the discord chat which uh sometimes sometimes there's really cool conversations in there i would say Often, actually. Um, and as always, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash and donate to Wildbow as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it. It is indeed. This week, special thanks to new patrons Bidoof's Sarah D and Braintree, uh, Doof Dancers Sam M and Ed S, Doof Trooper Steve, and new Supreme Leader Doof Mary F. We really appreciate wow. all of you. Thank you guys so much. You that's, really, really appreciate it. That's a great New Year's gift. Yeah, that's that's a lot of people. It's it's humbling. It's inspiring. And mm-hmm. it makes us want to just keep doing this. So thank you. Yes, yes. And and thank you to all of you that listen to this, because even if you do not to donate, do not, do not donate to us. You are still helping us out by just downloading the episode, by listening to the episode, by sharing the episode, by retweeting us on those social medias or and most especially by leaving us a rating and a review. You can rate rate and review us on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, other places. Um, we do have a new review this week right from the United Kingdom from our friend Stronger Bird from the United Kingdom who gives us five stars and says, the show has increased my enjoyment and appreciation of my two favorite books by a factor of at least 1.25 while being entertaining all on its own. I've listened along with Scott and Matt for all of Worm and Ward and every episode so far analyzing the chapters has provided valuable insight that I never would have had on my own. Even if you're a strong reader, I still recommend the show. It's at least, it's at the very least, a nice way to enjoy Worm and Ward again if you don't feel like rereading the books. But you should do that anyway because they're good books. Reread the books. Uh, thank you, Stronger Bird. We really appreciate you taking the time to review that. And uh, thank you, MyPodcastReviews.com for giving us reviews from other countries because <laughs> we can't get those without special tools for some reason. So 1.25 implies that our podcast is about 0.25 times as entertaining as Worm, which would basically be all the way up through Arc 8 which is like the best compliment I've ever received. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I thought you were going to work some bullshit five and three thing into that again. Not I'll work on it. So that's all we've got for you this week. We'll be back next week to cover the next two chapters back on a normal schedule. Uh, Thank God. Arc 19 infrared. (laughs) Thank God. These prep sessions of three chapters were doing me. in. remember when we used to do a whole arc. How do we do that? I, I, I literally don't. 